Podmortem would like to thank Original Cinematic for sponsoring this week's episode. Original Cinematic is an independent production company that has made it their mission to create, produce, and promote films that are inclusive, honor women, promote the LGBTQIA community, and provide prominent positions and roles to POC actors and filmmakers and promote the films of marginalized and underrepresented populations. These are all things that are extremely important to our podcast as well. Original Cinematic is currently accepting scripts and treatments. Both William and Zena Rush are also available via email or Zoom to discuss writing and provide input and resources to all aspiring writers, free of charge. Their information will be made available in the show notes. Original Cinematic has multiple exciting projects on the horizon. Their next film, Immersion, is slated for release in early 2024. Upcoming films, Fetish, Sweetener, and Run, and their documentary, Drag, the most targeted art form, are anticipated for 2024 releases as well. Their new award-winning film, Group, is currently on the festival circuit. And very generously, Original Cinematic will be providing a link for our patrons to screen the film on Zoom. It is truly an honor to partner with Original Cinematic, and we can't thank them enough for their contribution to our show. And now, back to our regularly scheduled program. Salutations! Welcome to Pod Mortem. I'm Renee Hunter Vasquez, joined as always by my co-host, my husband, and my brother. Hi, I'm John Paul Vasquez. Hi, I'm Travis Hunter. This week, we're recording live from a cutthroat bank discussing the 2009 supernatural horror film, Drag Me to Hell. This film was directed by Sam Raimi and written by Sam Raimi and Ivan Raimi. After directing his Spider-Man trilogy, this film was Sam Raimi's return to his horror roots. With the story concocted years earlier, Raimi achieved his vision with a dedicated cast and crew. With its gross-out gags, dark comedy, and supernatural scares, Drag Me to Hell is a love letter to the B-horror genre that is loved and appreciated by many fans. This film was suggested to us by friends of the show, Itsy M, Blaine Hancock, Jasmine, Amanda Lopez, Scott Troutman-Wise, Probably My Jugs, and Megan M. We want to thank them all for their support, as well as this suggestion. This film was also the winner of our February Patreon poll, so thank you to all of our patrons who participated and voted. If you want to help us pick an episode, join us over on Patreon at patreon.com slash thepodmortem. So, what did you guys think of Drag Me to Hell the first time you saw it? I remember really not enjoying this. I remember you showed it to me, and I... I I was a little confused, I think, because, and I figured it out now. I think it's because of the CGI. And I there's a lot going on in the movie, constantly slapping you in the face. And it's, I was like, oh my God, what's happening? Um, but uh, watching it this time, I enjoyed it a lot, lot more. Okay. Like, I did, did enjoy it. Uh, it's very silly. Um, that's what it is. That's just what it is. Mm -hmm. But it, it there is a lot of 
I mean, it is it is Sam Raimi. A lot of it is in there. It's just very polished. And I'm used to seeing the wires. I'm used to seeing <laughs> the seams. And it's like, oh, no. that I, I see the costume, but you love it. You know what I mean? It gives it that charm. Yeah. And I feel like this is a... Uh, everything is put together. There is no, you can't see behind the smoke and mirrors. It's just what is, except for the one time. Yeah. yeah. And then I was like, come on. <laughs> but I did enjoy it more. I did enjoy it more this time watching it and paying attention and, you know, kind of what it is. I did, I will give it that. I remember seeing this actually in theaters. Mm-hmm. I think I might have seen it. Twice or maybe three times. Damn. Yeah. I, I did that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but I really, really loved it. I remember just thinking it was so much fun and kind of honestly, look, I, I don't know what was going on because it was also around the same time, like the year after I saw Insidious in theaters as well. I think I was very easily frightened (laughs) because there's some sequences in this film that are pretty unsettling right and there's like a couple of visuals that stick with you and then return to you at about midnight (laughs) (laughs) but all in all majorly what it really is is it's just a lot of fun Mm -hmm. like there's this mix that really just sam raimi is just sam raimi yeah you get that comedy you get that horror you get that comedy horror Mm -hmm. you get the horror comedy yeah it all is just like maintaining different balances and percentages as we move through the film right but i really appreciate so much of what is done here Mm -hmm. i will admit and i agree um some of the CGI didn't age well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he brought some stuff over from Spider-Man that he probably shouldn't have. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we all loved Spider-Man. That was yeah. great. <laughs> it was great. Well, let's yeah. be honest. Yeah. Not so much here. No. But there is a lot of stuff that is clearly practical. Oh, yeah. And you're like kind of amazed that it was practical when other, other stuff in it is CG. Yeah. The things that they chose and the things that they didn't choose. Yeah, that too. That I think that it was it was the mixture of it that kind of I was like, I don't understand what's happening. Yeah. I And I was kind of torn on some of it. There's one <laughs> there is one sequence that is kind of for me, not as effective <coughs> because of the CG. Yeah. And it reminds me of something that he did like 20 years ago, practically that looked better. Okay. Okay. So I was a little upset with that, but then there's other things that you're like, "Oh, this is fantastic." Yeah. So I mean, there's it's it's a mixed bag as far as the effects go, but then the practical effects, of course, mm-hmm. and we'll get to who did them. Yeah. It's it's incredible. Yeah. It's a ton of fun, as I said. I think for me, the cinematography, the sound design, the production design, mm-hmm. it's just like everybody is firing on all cylinders, and yeah. it just is so. Ramy, <laughs> yeah yeah that it is i saw there was some <laughs> there was some video that somebody had done where they were comparing um certain aspects of this film to the evil dead which we'll talk t- about a little bit because there are some references that are pretty cool yeah but they had put that's so Ramy," and i was like that's great <laughs> <laughs> because that's the only way that you can really describe this film yeah you know and what's interesting to me as well and we were kind of talking off mic is there's kind of potential commentary yeah and maybe even a little subtext in there Mm -hmm. yeah i had i mean regarding climbing of the social ladder societal pressure yeah and then uh, some other more personal things as well yeah i've seen uh people interpret um messaging about like the mortgage crisis which i can definitely see Mm -hmm. and there's an entire fan theory that this is just what is happening in this film is 
just I'm trying to be very careful because we haven't done a spoiler um, mm-hmm. alert yet, but it is not actually happening and it is just someone experiencing or somebody being in the throes of a severe eating disorder. Huh. Uh, and once you see like the way that they outline, it's like, I can kind of see that. I don't, okay. I don't think that that's what he wrote and I don't think that that's what this is, but okay. Like I can definitely see that. There's a lot of things like that that are added in and I don't think he would put that in for no reason, Yeah, but it is also not fully fleshed out at all. <laughs> it's not, it, it, but things keep returning. Yeah. yeah. In, s- in a certain no, way. It's like a mm-hmm. recurring thing that it's there too much to mean nothing. Okay. But is that what the- this whole film is? I don't know. I mean, I'm not Sam <laughs> 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 or Ivan Raimi. Um, <laughs> I don't remember the first time that I saw this. I know that it was still new and I loved it. I thought it was so much fun. I thought it was so fucking gross. Yes. Um, and some of the shit that they do, some scenes are just like, this is just wild. Mm-hmm. I had seen The Evil Dead, but obviously I had not studied it to the extent that I have at this point in my life. And so being more knowledgeable in that respect, it makes me appreciate this even more because there's some camera work. There's some like there, uh, a line that's said later in the film. I'm like, <laughs> you know exactly yeah. what you're doing. And I love it. But it's just a blast. If you like are wanting some like cerebral horror film or like something psychological that's going to keep you up at night, this is probably not it. <laughs> But it's just a fu- it's a blast. Well, if you're 18 year old, maybe a midnight, maybe a yeah. midnight, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe a midnight in 2009. <laughs> but I just wanted to talk very quickly about the production because I did find it interesting. Um, I didn't realize that Sam and Ivan Ramey wrote this as a short story back in 1989 called the curse oh damn yes. so you're 20 years yeah. yeah since yes that's wild it's crazy and 1989 was an amazing year it was <laughs> <laughs> it's all right <laughs> but they wrote it as something of a morality tale and i think that that stays you can see that whether or not it is effective for everyone is debatable but i think that it's still there yeah but obviously it got put on the back burner for many, many years. And then when Sam Raimi got Spider-Man, it really wasn't happening, at least not being directed by him. I read that at one point they even approached Edgar Wright. Really? To direct it. But he turned it down because he was doing Hot Fuzz. Which I fucking love <laughs> yeah. Hot Fuzz. Yeah, Hot Fuzz is great. I read this thing that Edgar Wright said that I thought was very interesting too because he said that even if he had done it it would have felt like he was singing somebody else's song at karaoke I get that that really only Sam Raimi could have done this and I was like what a fucking great way to put that one thing that I had read in an interview with Sam Raimi I think it was Mm cinema.com he had mentioned that if it were someone else that was going to direct it there were going to have to be cuts made in order to yeah. kind of shift it to more of their sensibility. And as he was doing it, he was like, that's not why we wrote this. Yeah. And he, I mean, thankfully. Yeah. That was my next point was that while he was like trying to figure out what would needed to be cut and changed, he was like, I don't want to cut or change this. Yeah. So it was just a matter of like, he was going to do it, but when, 
So after Spider-Man 3, Spider-Man 4 was being written. Obviously, that did not get made. Mm -hmm. It's sad because he's in interviews and um, I watched an interview with him and the interviewer was like, so who are the villains going to be in 4? And he's like, did this like very long winded thing about the screenwriters probably want to keep that close to their chest and it's going to be a surprise to the audience who's even in it and da, da 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 but he goes on for like three minutes and he's like that was a really long way to say i'm not allowed to tell you <laughs> <laughs> it's honestly really sad because even in the interview i read he seemed excited for that's, it that's yeah, well, very sad those are good ass movies man. yeah they're I great will, three yeah hey, hey, we can hey, talk hey, about hey. three and i will say if, if I'm not, I mean, I don't think I'm telling tales out of school because it's in interviews. Everybody knows it. <laughs> I think the studio kind of fucked him over with Spider-Man 3. Really? They forced a lot of changes and a lot. Like, I, he didn't even want to use Venom, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay. wow. And so they're kind of overloading the film and kind of bogging it down, which makes it get these critical reviews, yeah. et cetera. And now Spider-Man 4 doesn't happen because of all those things that he didn't even want. And they were like, oh, okay. we need him hip thrusting on well, the street yeah. if he's not doing the fucking roller thing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hair combed to the side you know what i mean i mean i thought never mind <laughs> we're covering drag me to talk. <laughs> <laughs> but in that limbo between spider-man 3 and the spider-man 4 that never came to be um he decided that it was time he got rob tappert to Man. sign on which i mean I can't imagine how cool that would be. He produced the Evil Dead films. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, all these years later, I just love that Sam Raimi is one of those people that, like, he has his people. Yeah. And we talk about that a lot. I yes. love yeah. that. There is only one missing link. Well, we'll talk. And we'll talk about yes. that. Yes. But with him at the helm, the film had a $30 million budget. And Sam Raimi, it's so interesting hearing him talk about it because he talked about how refreshing making this was after spending so many years doing the Spider-Man films. Mm -hmm. He said that there were no department heads to answer to. Like basically he <laughs> could get as wild as he wanted to. Yeah. And he, and he did. Yeah. But he said that it brought him back to kind of his roots of doing it yourself with a tight team instead of kind of overseeing and telling other people what to do. Like just okay. the ability to be more hands-on. And he changed a lot like from the screenplay to like the day of being like, why don't we do this? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> he seems like a madman, but like in the best way. Yeah. I saw an interview with um, Alison Lohman and, and uh, Justin Long and Justin Long was saying that uh, some of the stuff that he would like spring on them or like ideas that he would have. He was like, if it was anybody else, you would think about walking off set. <laughs> He's like, but Sam Raimi is so kind and so nice that you're like, all right, like let's let's try it. So that's how he got Bruce to yeah. disagree oh, yeah. too. He's like, Absolutely. Oh, okay, okay. It's Sam Raimi. Right. Yeah. Throw He's, the car at me again. <laughs> <laughs> he just asked so nice. But again, that's why he said that post-production took so long because they kept adding stuff and there were a lot of reshoots and then that got delayed because Allison Lohman broke her leg. I don't think she broke it with him okay <laughs> but the reshoots got delayed and he was like we were just having so much fun adding effects and adding sound and you know um but it did end up debuting at the 2009 Cannes film festival and mm. the rest is history yeah it's just honestly kind of amazing when you think about it because i mean if we look at his trajectory as a filmmaker uh -huh. if we look at his last horror film that he made it, depending on what you consider because 92 was army of darkness right and from there to 2009 drag me to hell or 
The Gift. It, the Gift yeah. is a horror film. So it's either. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to cover it. So it's a horror yeah, film. Well, we it's will. so good. It, no, it's great. It is. It's what? Thri- uh, it's a thriller. It's but a I, horror. I think horror. It's, it's supernatural horror. It's it's good. It is good. So we'll count it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I won't say 17 years. I'll say nine years. Okay, okay that's fair. Yeah. Is that fair? Is yeah. everybody happy? Do you know that Billy Bob Thornton wrote that? He did. Yeah, that's wild. I think yeah. it's a, he said something. It's, it's, it, we're not covering it. <laughs> 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 we keep doing that. Sorry. <laughs> now, before we curse this film, we would like to show a warning for spoilers. Podmortem is a very in-depth podcast and thoroughly discussing horror films. We have no choice but to spoil a thing or two. If you don't wish to be spoiled, please go watch the film, then come back and enjoy the show. If you've already seen the film or don't care about spoilers, then let's make a tough decision. The film opens in Pasadena, California in 1969. A truck pulls up outside of a mansion and farm worker, played by Alexis Cruz, helps farm worker's wife, played by Ruth Livier, out of the truck bed. She rushes up to the steps to bang on the gates guarding the door, begging in Spanish for Mrs. Sean Sandina to come and help her son. Young Sean Sandina, played by Flor de Maria Chawa, comes down and without a word goes to the woman's husband, who cradles their son Juan, played by Shiloh Selassie. Juan's mother explains that for the last three nights he's been hearing voices. His father adds that he thinks something is coming for him. He tells his son to talk to Sean, and the boy says sadly that he hears its voice and it keeps getting louder. Immediately, Sean wants to know what the boy has done, and his mother admits reluctantly that he stole a silver necklace from a wagon. The father says that they tried to give it back, but they wouldn't take it. At Sean's insistence, the mother shows the necklace, still draped around the boy's neck. When she pulls it from the clothing and the blanket that he's wrapped in, a fly buzzes out with it. So just a few notes really quick. Mm -hmm. Firstly, love that vintage Universal logo at the beginning. Yes. Absolutely brilliant. Secondly, what a beautiful house. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just breathtaking. I wonder what will happen inside this place <laughs> <laughs> nothing but good things no I'm no sure. no not at all but the third thing is seeing obviously seeing the fly you're like oh shit mm-hmm. but the other thing is like the level of offense that equals this consequence yeah mm-hmm. that is frightening he's a little yeah. boy he's a little boy who well he's a thief <laughs> <laughs> he's a dirty filthy <laughs> thief <laughs> He shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> he shouldn't, but he's a child. Yeah, and he, and he gave it back. He tried to give it back. He tried. They're <laughs> <laughs> like, mm, that's yours. No. No. Yeah. Suffer the... Yeah. <laughs> but at the sight of the necklace, Sean's eyes grow wide, and she tells the family to come inside. Once inside, Juan shakes with fright as he stares up at the skylight. Distorted moaning accompanies his visions of shadowy, misshapen fingers flexing and reaching against the bright glass. This is incredible. Yeah. Yeah, this looks real cool. And just seeing it, I'm like, we're in for some Sam Raimi fun. Oh, yeah. Sean tries to pray over the boy, but the prayer is immediately cut short when doors burst open behind her and a strong wind knocks her to the ground. The boy screams as his mother is backhanded by something unseen and she falls as well. His father is punched repeatedly by the invisible menace until he is also knocked down. Juan tries to flee from the room, but he's confronted with the force while backed up against a half wall overlooking the ground floor. 
Sean rushes to him just in time to see Juan knocked over the wall. He falls below hard and his parents scream and run to him in panic. He starts to get up. And I was like, God. yeah, <laughs> what's this kid made out of? <laughs> I was like, Fuck, no, dude. I was surprised too. I was like, damn, he fell high. Yeah. But then he started moving. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> He's like, I'm fine. Like, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I, I genuinely thought that that was the end of the curse. Yeah. yeah. And then I shortly after yeah. that. No, 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 no. I remember the title of the film. <laughs> But again, somehow the boy starts to raise himself up and Sean watches from the second floor, warning him to be careful. But the floor beneath Juan begins to crack, letting in a bright, horrible light. Flames dance in the new air as the floor splits open. Juan tries to scramble, but it's an act of futility. Sean watches in horror as the floor sinks in and a shadowy hand reaches out and grabs the boy. As he is pulled below, screaming for help, his shadowed arm reaches upward, falling against Sean who watches with tears in her eyes. His hand is finally swallowed up into the floor as it seals itself back up and Sean promises the entity, we will meet again. Abruptly, we get the title, white text against a black background, drag me to hell what what an opening yeah yeah he didn't deserve that no <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot it's like lot. for a necklace yeah, yeah. I like, come on <laughs> i will say like and this is kind of indicative of a lot of what we talked about in the intro yeah where there's the successful effects and the kind of okay yeah because <laughs> the hand was not it a was part of that environment no, it was, okay. i'm not saying to really drag a kid to hell <laughs> <laughs> you know, but well the did they steal a necklace you know it looked funny to me and i i was debating even saying anything because like it is a like powerful cold open and it sets the tone for literally the entire film yeah but just that shot of like the hand it looked really (laughs) funny it did and i you know with sam raimi maybe it's intentional could be yeah it's it's hard to tell sometimes because he does have a very interesting sense of humor yeah and what what about that though? You go over there and you're like, "Hey, help my son! I'll get you next time, fucker!" It's yeah. like, "Oh shit, he's just gone!" <laughs> Our yeah. son is yeah. gone. <laughs> what do you and mean next they time? They never made it down to him. They were no. like, "We're coming," and then they never. Well, he, he got They're taken. Like, Maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, that will be ten thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But during the credit sequence, we get cloth being stained black and a lot of books. We see a drawing of a woman confronting a shadowed figure, sharp, clawed hands reaching out to a woman in her bed, text in a book detailing that it takes three days for the curse to develop, a demonic face with its eyes rolled to white and a sharp tongue sticking out of its mouth, flies buzz and black smoke dances along the drawings. Finally, the drawing of a woman being pulled down to hell is engulfed in flames. And, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also, I just wanted to say how fucking great the music yeah. over this is. Yes. I did want to talk about the composer. It was Christopher Young. Mm-hmm. So just to kind of give a, a bit of a list of his filmography. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I know we've... <laughs> said that name before yeah quite a bit i'm gonna start small with what he worked with sam raimi on okay, okay. which was he he did the score for the gift mm-hmm. Woo! 
Spider-Man 3. All right. See? <laughs> Two films we covered in the intro. <laughs> <laughs> and through Ghost House, he did uh, the grudge music as well. Oh, oh, nice. And just a sidebar for a film that we should definitely cover in the future, he did the score for Copycat. Oh, okay. But just listen to this list of films that we've covered that he did the score for. Oh, man. <laughs> a Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Hellraiser, Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, Tales from the Hood, Urban Legend, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, and Sinister. God damn. <laughs> and that's right. just us. Yeah. That's fucking Hell cool. Yeah. And he puts his foot in this. Oh, like, yeah. It, it's yeah. fantastic. There are scenes that are just punctuated so perfectly. Mm -hmm. And this opening is one of them where it's just this. I couldn't imagine a better. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. And the visuals of what we see, you get a bit of the rules. You get this idea of the curse. Yeah. I remember <laughs> when we talked, when we covered identity and we were like, we were not paying attention to the opening and the opening tells us fucking everything. You know what I mean? <laughs> I felt the same way with this. I was like, oh, we're detailing. <laughs> like, they're like, it takes three days. It's like, oh shit. Like we're going over every aspect of like what is to come. Right. Yeah. And I got to say, I mean, we've already been given quite a few nods to the Evil Dead already. Mm. Yeah. This book in general feels like the Necronomicon in its way. Yeah. yeah. And then even parts of the opening have Evil Dead, like an evil force moving through a room. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things and they just continue to pile up in a very, very fascinating and satisfying way. Oh, yeah. They yeah. Do. I did read that Sam Raimi said that they take place in the same universe. Okay. There is one line later that yeah. is very interesting. Well, they they kind of, I mean, they kind of look like deadites. Yeah. They, yeah. Later on, yeah, yes. For sure. There's also, I, I think you mentioned it, this buzzing of flies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We get a really tight shot of a fly in the intro. Yeah. yeah. Firstly, and it's just a really ridiculous sidebar, but I was like, why do a fly's eyes look like a speaker close up? Did we run out of textures? Or what? <laughs> but <laughs> I think there's a lot of them. There's its nuts, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, is that the fly becomes so prevalent in the film. Yeah. yeah. It comes up, we already saw it on Juan, mm -hmm. and then we it's, it punctuates an entire scene in a yeah. very yeah. sad way. <laughs> you know what it made me think of? It almost made me think of uh, the Amityville. Yeah. Oh, true. Like, yeah. Like, okay, like, what, is this, what does this fly, what does it mean? Yeah. They never mean anything good, no. I've noticed. No, rot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> rot, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> but back to the film. After shots of cars driving along the freeway, we hear a speech therapist. In her car... Christine Brown, played by Allison Lohman, repeats the sentences the voice emanating from her car speakers gives her. There is no friction with the proper diction. Good sounds abound when the mouth is round. When her southern accent starts to imbrue her words, she looks in her rearview mirror and carefully corrects herself. So, Allison Lohman. Mm -hmm. I... I don't want to say hyperfixated, but Kristen and I watched, I will say more than the average person, <laughs> <laughs> the film White Oleander. Okay. A lot. That's the first thing I ever saw her in. I love that movie. I can't even tell you objectively if it is good. I just know that I, it's got Michelle Pfeiffer, Robin Wright. Like it's, it's wild. But, and, um, Big Fish. Yeah. She's young Sandra Bloom. Yes. Yeah. Cause when you meet the love of your life, Time stops. I've seen. Yeah, yeah it makes and I've me felt. cry. Big, yeah, Big Fish is fucking fantastic. It's it is ten a great out of ten. Yeah. Um, 
But I, she's she. I know that she has since quit acting, from what I understand. Really? But yeah, I I never saw her in a lot, so I was kind of surprised to see her as the lead here. But I read that the role of Christine Brown was originally supposed to be Elliot Page. Oh wow! Uh. Yeah, and I that I feel like that would have been a completely different, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, but he dropped out due to scheduling conflicts. I don't know if it was Whip It. I can't remember what it was. But um, Sam Raimi directly called Allison Lohman, and he basically warned her that if if she said yes, she was going to get the Bruce Campbell treatment. <laughs> what? A, what? A, <laughs> what, <laughs> what do you even say to that? I'm going to become a horror icon. Yeah, <laughs> right. Sign me up. Sign me up, yeah. Sam. <laughs> But it was interesting. Um, obviously, she said yes, yeah. and she was game, and she did almost all of her own stunts, which was really interesting. He was like, she let me rig her up uh, on wires and put her in a harness and, and throw her around. <laughs> there were, t- uh, I think he said three that she was like, I can do it, and he was like, you're not doing it. Like, he would not let her do that. Yeah. Well, there is there is one sequence later that is kind of surprising they didn't use a stunt double. Really? Yeah. But I, I did want to say, I feel like this scene at the beginning really sets up a lot of her character. Yes. Yeah. Because you feel like she has to prove herself. And it kind of sets this thing into motion where the only way to get ahead is by being something she's not. Yeah. I never realized how much of this film really stresses, like, conformity. Yeah. And, like, doing things just because you feel like you're supposed to. And it kind of hit different watching it this time, like kind of trying to analyze it because like you said, this is a lot of her character. Mm -hmm. But I didn't even realize that. But you saying that I was uh, your sister. I was talking with your sister the other day and she was kind of bringing it up. But you saying that that does it now is kind of like, okay, okay. You know what I mean? If both of you are seeing it. I mean, obviously it's there, but we don't really... It's not like, hey, there's a lesson here. Yeah. Shit is just going on. And it's, yeah. it's funny you said because the original short story was written as a morality tale. Mm-hmm. There is some of that here. Yeah. And there is very interestingly, and I can't share it now, but it's something that comes up later. The way that Sam Raimi described the character was, uh, but in all fairness, I get it. Mm. We'll get to it. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's you. You wouldn't like to be called this. Oh. oh, okay. But you understand it more and more as the film goes on. Okay. Because I think, and there is a character later that kind of gives you. I mean, this sentence in a way where you realize that when you're put in the situation that she's put into, you kind of show who you really are. Okay. There's some okay. there's some moments yeah. that are a little questionable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that. Um I also uh Sam Raimi said that originally Christine Brown's name was Stephanie Brown and uh Allison Lohman renamed her Christine. Huh. And Sam Raimi was like, All right, yeah, yeah. like you liked it better. Um but I thought it was interesting too, she had never seen an evil dead film. When he called her. Really? And so she started watching them and she said that two was her favorite and she watched it over and over and over again before they started filming. And she said that obviously she was like, I know that I'm not Bruce Campbell. I can never be Bruce Campbell. She was like, but in Drag Me to Hell, Christine Brown is Drag Me to Hell's Ash Williams. Yeah. She was like, so I just wanted to kind of like make them proud in that regard. So she like watched it a lot. Well, it's a great movie. It It is. is. Yeah. 
But after parking her car in a garage and pulling herself away from the windows of a sweets shop, we join Christine at her desk at the Wilshire Pacific Bank. She assures the mortgage customers on the other side of her desk, played by Ricardo Molina and Fernanda Romero, that she thinks that they can make this work. After promising to call them this afternoon, she shakes hands with her happy clients and they leave. Alone now, she looks longingly at the empty desk across the room. The nameplate on the wall next to it reads simply, Assistant Manager. When her boss, Mr. Jax, played by David Paymer, walks by on his way to his office, she hurries over to him. She gently asks if he's made a decision about the assistant manager position yet, and he tells her that he hasn't. He's still deciding, and right now it's between her and Stu. She asks if he's talking about the new guy, Stu Rubin. He is, and we see Stu, played by Reggie Lee, ignoring the clients at his desk as he stares unabashedly at the conversation Christine and Mr. Jax are having. <laughs> I just want to say, this dude, <laughs> he plays the hell out of this role because I fucking hate him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he infuriates me. Yeah. I just feel like it's kind of wild that the boss is telling her yeah. <laughs> it's between you and him. Yeah. That's dangerous. What? That's true. No, it is. What's funny to me is especially later when he's like, mm, this person's head. Like, yeah. He's like yeah, on a scoreboard in his office. He's like, well, she says she's got five tallies now. So <laughs> I, will, <laughs> I will say this is another person you see all the time. Mm -hmm. David Paymer. I went to go look because I knew that I was like, I know I've seen this dude all the time. He's in the Jamie Lee Curtis and John Travolta dancing movie. Oh, my God. Perfect. We were just talking <laughs> yes. about that. Uh, he's in Howard the Duck. He was in City Slickers. He was in Searching for Bobby Fisher. Like, he's worked for, and he's always in stuff, even if it's bit parts. But I was like, I know that dude's face. He's a very familiar face. Yeah. Yes. It's interesting because Bruce Campbell is noticeably absent mm -hmm. from, yeah, yeah. He was offered a role and turned it down because of scheduling conflicts with Burn Notice. But calm down, T. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I loved Burn Notice. I know. <laughs> I am upset that that's why. Yeah. Uh, and it is a mark against Burn Notice. <laughs> <laughs> so Drag Me Hell's pulling ahead one point. <laughs> um, but reading online, a lot of people think, and this has never been confirmed or denied or anything, but a lot of people think that the role was Mr. Jack's. Really? I that would be <laughs> very different. Oh yeah. I would love it a lot. But I I also I remember at the time the film came out, there were rumors that it was another character too. Ah. But if it were the character that I will discuss later, okay. yeah. that scene would be so distracting. It would not <laughs> Okay. It would not I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll talk. But Mr. Jax concedes that Stu is new, but he's also aggressive, and they like that. He goes on that Stu isn't afraid to crunch numbers and make tough decisions. But Christine insists that she's not afraid to make tough decisions. Mr. Jax tells her simply that he'll let her know his decision as soon as he's made one. She nods in reluctant acceptance, even when Mr. Jax advises her to take Stu through their loan procedures just in case. To me, it's kind of wild that we're going to give this guy a promotion. Yeah. Who does not even know the procedure of anything. Who yeah. has to learn from the 
other person, person that applies. Yes, that's unbelievable. I thought that was a little strange. It's ridiculous. It is, and I think it also says a lot about something else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when Christine starts to walk away, Mr. Jack stops her, asking if she can take her lunch now. When she agrees, he pushes it a step further, asking if she'll pick him up a turkey club on her way back. Suddenly, Stu is standing with them, praising Mr. Jackson for his excellent <laughs> choice on a turkey club. Yeah, well, <laughs> He asks Christine to pick one up for him, too, thanking her before she can even agree. He's like, spicy mustard, before shutting her out of the conversation completely to go over paperwork with Mr. Jacks. Christine walks away. We all have mustard preferences. Yeah. But... <laughs> flaunting it now this way (laughs) (laughs) this whole thing i was already fucking mad yeah yeah his last name's ruben why don't you just get one of those (laughs) (laughs) get your own sandwich yeah (laughs) i don't know i just don't i i understand you've got a intern and you got a whatever or even but she's this is a job job for her yeah and if she's teaching him don't treat me that way. And it, I don't know how long I'd last. Her. Like, man, get you, man, I'll get you lunch. You're my boss. You know yeah. what I mean? This motherfucker? No, I'm but, not. And it's the fact that he's like, can you take your lunch now? Because I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, yeah, yeah that that's, too. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not cool. No, <laughs> no. But Christine heads over to the Department of Psychology. Over lunch in an office, she congratulates her boyfriend, Clay Dalton, played by Justin Long, on making it through his first week as a professor. She jokes that she thought he'd have a full beard by now, and he laughs, saying that he did too, and he's disappointed. (laughs) I will say his presence in this film, he gives a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And he's kind of unsung in this role, I think. Yeah. I totally agree. I In that interview with him and Allison Lohman, he goes, I called you baby a lot in this. He was like, I didn't really like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I told your sister on the cool, they they are very cute on the screen. Yes. yes. They yes. do seem like they would be a couple. Absolutely. But Clay fiddles with his printer before giving it up and declaring it broken. Christine reaches inside and pulls out a dropped paper clip that was gumming up the works. Clay is impressed with her prowess, calling her cocky, sexy, and unbelievable. But Christine just hands over an envelope that she almost forgot about. Did you think that was going to lead to something? Yeah. Yeah. Like her making maybe like a chainsaw hand or something? (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what I thought it was going to do. I mean, like something. Yeah. Or like a printer hand. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just something with the hand. Something with the hand. It's an homage. Yeah. But she tells Clay that she found it at the bank and he is amazed when he shakes out a quarter. He details that it's a 1929 standing liberty that's almost fully struck. I don't know what any of that means, but he's really excited about it Mm -hmm. and shocked that she found it in regular circulation. He drops it back into the envelope, vowing to add it to his nerdy collection. Just as Christine stands to leave, Clay's phone rings and they say a quick but loving goodbye. When she steps out into the hall, he answers the phone on speaker. Uh. His mother is on the other end. Christine stops to take a drink from the water fountain. And when she does, Clay tells his mother that Christine brought lunch by. And his mother asks, Christine, the girl from the farm? Annoyed, Clay reminds his mother that he's been dating Christine for almost a year. She's the one that's coming to dinner. When he starts to say that he can't wait for her to meet Christine, his mother interrupts. 
conceding that she's sure she's sweet, but they have certain expectations for him. She brings up someone named Amy Kulik, who graduated from Yale with honors and is a very successful attorney. Christine listens at the door sadly as Clay tells his mother that she's mentioned all this about Amy before. But his mom continues full steam ahead that that's the type of person that Clay should be with. She could help him socially, which would ultimately help his career. It's not the time to be playing around with little girls from the farm. Christine turns and walks down the hall defeated. So, I mean, he, he's got his doctorate. He's working yes! at a university. Yeah. He's doing wonderful. I, I feel like this is, again, kind of really punching this idea of climbing the social ladder. Yeah. And it really does give her unfortunate motivation towards doing something to try to appeal to people yeah. who may not even accept her anyway. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it. So there, it's a very relatable thing, but it's also very sad. Yeah, I was like, that's fucking tough, dude. Yeah. <laughs> You're and not even listening to him. Yeah. No. Because, okay, if you've mentioned Amy before and he's still not talking to Amy, clearly he doesn't give a shit about where she works, yeah. what she can offer him. Uh -huh. I like Christine. I want to, you know what I mean? What? And it's been a year and a half? Yeah. And all you remember is the farm? Yeah. yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's rough. That's it. Yeah. It's shitty. Yeah. In the break room at the bank, Christine pours herself a cup of coffee. Behind her, eating at a table next to Mr. Jacks, Stu tells Christine condescendingly that she got his order wrong. She denies this and he sighs deeply, telling her that he said no mayo. Christine turns to him, telling him correctly that he never said that. <laughs> but as if he's doing her a favor, Stu's like, it's, it's okay. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> She leaves and Stu chuckles and shrugs at Mr. Jacks. One of those like, you believe this, yeah. dude? I, I, I hate this guy. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, you want mayo on your loans? Or like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that's what you're going to get. <laughs> well, we all seen you didn't say that fucker. No, yeah. you didn't. And again, it's putting it all on her when it could have been the restaurant. Yeah. Or it could have been anything. It about, was. Thank you. Yeah, that helps too. <laughs> you know? You yeah. went and got me a sandwich yeah. mm -hmm. that I didn't earn. No. no. That I don't deserve. No. No. Did she pay for it? Oh, yeah. No, I'm just getting angrier. That better be an expense account or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's a deleted scene where Mr. Jacks <laughs> gives his credit card. Use my card? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At her desk later, Christine watches as Stu sidles up to Mr. Jacks in front of God and everybody to ask if he's a Lakers fan. When Mr. Jax confirms this, Stu hands over tickets for Sunday's game because he can't use them. Mr. Jax marvels at how great the seats are. This is where they bring the hot dogs right to you. <laughs> Stu tells him he'll be hobnobbing with celebrities and insists that Mr. Jax take them. I was I could not believe he was doing this in front of everyone. Yeah. Because it's <laughs> it's so blatant. What's funny is they were just having lunch together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he could have done it then, but he when just no wants one was to, around. He wants to rub it in for Christine. Absolutely. Yeah. But I feel like there's gotta be something there that, hey, I'm gonna give you Lakers ticket. You don't have to promote me, but yeah. Here's the take that. Come on. He's like, there's going to be celebrities. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what this is for, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> we, we both know. Christine? Yeah. You hear this? You especially know. <laughs> Christine is in disbelief, but is brought back to reality at the sound of thick, yellowed fingernails drumming on her desk. 
When she turns to see the owner of the nails, she finds Mrs. Sylvia Ganish, played by Lorna Raver. Lorna Raver Mm -hmm. brings everything that she has to this. Yes. I did see a short interview with her where she had said that her audition was this scene. Really? Yeah. And she didn't know what else the film entailed outside (laughs) of this scene. Oh, my God. I guess when she found out, she was like, oh, hell yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That is so cool. Yeah. She really went above and beyond. She consulted a dialect coach and even requested that some of her lines be changed to Hungarian. Because okay. she thought it would make more sense. And Sam Raimi was like, yeah, that does make more sense. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Her performance, uh, this scene, of course. You, and you really do get the whole gamut of emotion yeah. Yeah, from her. And she's just great. Mm-hmm. It's just wild seeing her in interviews. And she just seems like so sweet and like excited. <laughs> <Yeah>. And like <laughs> she's having a great time. And then watching her do this. It's like you were like acting yeah. <laughs> like you're really fucking good imagine like acting you know mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she stares at christine with one of her eyes a milky white she asks if she can help her christine is happy to but mrs ganish thrust papers at her telling her that men from the bank are at her house packing up all her personal things and christine needs to make them stop She coughs harshly, spitting yellow phlegm into a handkerchief as Christine explains the papers. This movie's gross. I'm just going to say, you just need to prepare yourself. I... I prepared a dessert while I was watching. That this. was a big oh, fucking wow. mistake. Yeah, I don't know what I was doing. Look, <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, honestly, was it like uh, like a custard? Yeah, it was lemon. That's <laughs> gross. <laughs> Just a bowl of lemon custard. I was like, oh, this is a bad idea. What yeah. have you done? <laughs> um, I I don't know how to put this delicately. It, I can't handle stuff like this. Yeah, in person on film. Oh. If I'm Christine, I'm fighting right now. I'd be gagging my ass off. Yeah. yeah. Like she has a. No, she's a trooper. Constitution of a saint. All <laughs> <laughs> right. Stu can help you. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know yes, what? Dude. I know just the guy. Yeah. Oh, my God. Dude. The what? No. She would have. Oh, man. If only. If fucking only. <laughs> but she explains to her that the papers were the bank informing her that they were repossessing her property today. But Mrs. Ganish explains that the property has been her home for 30 years. She made every payment until the sickness took her eye. She'll be able to pay. She just needs more time. Christine tells her regretfully that she doesn't think her manager is going to allow that. But fiddling with the dirty handkerchief, Mrs. Ganish asks her, please, could she just try? Christine considers this for a moment before agreeing. Mrs. Ganish is grateful, telling Christine, bless you, as she gets up to go to Mr. Jax's office. As soon as she leaves, Mrs. Ganish takes candy from Christine's desk. In Mr. Jax's office, Christine explains that Mrs. Ganish is elderly and on a fixed income. She's even had medical problems. There has to be something they can do to help her. As Mr. Jax looks over the paperwork, Christine glances back at her desk where Mrs. Ganish takes out her spit slimy dentures and rests them on her handkerchief before popping the candy into her mouth. Mr. Jax says that they've already given her two extensions. At this point, they seize the trapped equity and the bank makes quite a lot of money in the fees. Christine explains that this would mean throwing Mrs. Ganish out of her home. Mr. Jax concedes that it's a tough decision, but he tells Christine that it's her call. 
see, and this is like it. It's it happens every day. Mm-hmm. It's a very tragic situation, and personally, again, this comes into what Christine is as a person. Yeah, and is as a character because I don't care what Mister Jack says. We're helping Mrs. Ganish. Well, it's the the thing is, is he uses the exact same phrase. Yeah. Like he made tough decision. Stu can make the tough decisions. He does. This is a tough decision. It's your call. This is like, you want the promotion or not? Like, it's yeah. very clearly, this is going to make the bank a lot of money. Do you want that promotion but, or you don't want but it? But he did say at this point. Yeah, he did. I just, I, and again, it is a tough decision. It is not a decision that I think I could sit across the desk from that woman and look yeah, her in the face not. and make. Yeah, no, but <laughs> we'll make it up elsewhere. Yeah, but but <laughs> like again, Christine's desperation and the phone call that she just overheard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she is trying to prove herself, and I understand mm-hmm. that completely. But I also understand that you know being a good person is really important, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe not being so selfish would be nice. It's. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's rough. It's hard. It's, it's rough. Hard. It is yeah. exactly what a lot of like employers look for in an employee. Mm-hmm. Well, he literally said Stu is aggressive and we like that. Yes. Like, he literally said they that. They tell yeah. you to be ruthless. You're supposed to think about the business, your customers, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're not there to help people. They're there to make money. Exactly. Yeah. It's very it's and again it's an indictment on this kind yeah. of culture and society yeah that's what i'm saying i don't think i could do this i, I don't think i, I could do that kind I of can. job not at all I, it would make me sick to go back to that and be like i'm sorry lady like do but like i don't you can be as compassionate and as like gentle as you can but you at the end of the day i i just i would feel so guilty i i it's your call. You were told yes. it's your call. Yes. That would fuck me up. But I mean, it's just looking at it on paper, just point for point, we are ruining this woman's life to make our life better. That's what we're doing. That's what the bank is doing. Right. On the other side of the uh, 1929 Standing Liberty <laughs> <laughs> fully struck coin, mm-hmm. you know, if you're looking at this without emotion, just facts, they've given her two extensions and she did not pay. Yeah. So, I mean, they are well within their rights. But is it right? You know, that's right, the yeah. it's 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 hard. I couldn't I couldn't do it. They are, look, they're well within their rights, but he did say it was your call. He did. I would not be getting the promotion. No. It's it's just hard. It's like we talked about on his house. When people are trying to help other yeah. people get established, you see really good people go back for the silliest shit or for literally the smallest violation. And then it kind of makes you, you know what I mean? You just kind of get numb to it. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't know. It's just very, very hard decision. And yeah, of course you want to help them, but what do you, I mean, what, what can you do? You know what I mean? Yeah. Makes me think of that song up on the ladder by Radiohead. I'm just going to relate everything Radio- to Radiohead. Yeah, it's, it's just like that song. It really, it is though. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to the song. Yeah. <laughs> but christine steps out of mr jack's office and takes another longing look at the assistant manager's desk she looks at Stu working with his clients she looks at mrs ganish emptying christine's candy dish into her bag she smiles at mr jack's and assures him that she'll take care of it i feel like the mince is what made up christine's mind which is not right (laughs) 
<laughs> right? I, I'm not gonna again. You look and she's taking your whole bowl again. She, she is. Whole bowl. And it's like I already went out of pocket to buy these motherfuckers lunch. Like yeah. I, can, I can buy more mints. All I'm yeah. stuck. <laughs> and we we've established many times personally. Someone steals food, you look away. It didn't happen. Right. Oh yeah. But these are breath mints, and yeah. so and those she, are for everybody. It's just yes. I love thinking of the thought process of her eating it and being like, "This is good as fuck." Yeah. I need all of them. at least twenty five more. <laughs> <laughs> that's great when mrs ganish eyes christine walking back to the desk she quickly puts her dentures back in christine sits back down and tells her that she's sorry but another extension is out of the question she tells her that she wishes she could help but mrs ganish interrupts her she is shocked by the answer she asks christine please reminding her that this is her home she asks her where she'll live Christine points out that she listed her granddaughter as a reference and proposes that she could stay with her, but Mrs. Ganish refuses to burden her. Christine brings up assisted living facilities, but Mrs. Ganish is adamant that she would never live in one of those places. Christine hands the papers back, telling the old woman again that she's really sorry. After a considering moment, Mrs. Ganish throws the papers back down on the desk and gets to her feet. Tearfully, she tells Christine that she's a proud woman and she's never begged for anything. She drops to her knees, dissolving into sobs as she begs Christine. Christine rushes to her, trying to get her to get back on her feet, but Mrs. Ganish's voice only gets louder, begging Christine on her mother's grave and kissing the hem of her skirt. I, this is, this is it. Even if I had the fucking balls to I, I there's no fucking way yeah there okay, is okay, okay 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 yeah yeah I you will, can have my house yeah like there's <laughs> no way i will pull a mr robot and delete your debt right yeah. now <laughs> 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 like, we're they're, done they're gonna carry both of us out <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but christine calls for security and backs away from mrs ganish causing her to lose her balance and fall to the floor the security guards, played by Bill E. Rogers and Tony A. Angelo, rush over, and Mrs. Ganish rises to her knees again, realizing that everyone in the bank is staring at her. She looks at Christine accusingly, informing her that she has shamed her. She pulls herself to her feet and says it again. She begged Christine, and Christine shamed her. The guards tell her that her business is finished here, and they gently escort her towards the door. Christine calls her name softly and goes to follow, but Mrs. Ganish turns on her harshly, screaming and lunging for her until Christine falls backward onto her desk. The security guards finally take her outside. Christine and Mr. Jax watch from inside as Mrs. Ganish snatches her purse away from the guards and turns to walk away. Mr. Jax murmurs that he's never seen anything like that before. <laughs> he tells Christine, though, that she handled it just right. Right behind them, just out of focus, are two co-workers, played by Mae Young Lehman and Octavia fucking Spencer. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't say a word in this. No. She's in the background in like two scenes. Yeah. I, was, I text your sister and I go, is that fucking Ma? Yes. <laughs> Don't make her drink alone. Yeah. <laughs> But she didn't shame her that like she she was clearly like, hey, dude, I 
I don't know what you want me to do. She did. She did it nicely. Yeah, but she wasn't like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Well, once the kissing of the hem, and she's like, "Ah!" Yeah. <laughs> so I think, yeah, I think, yeah, you did. I think she did change her a little I don't bit. Know well, about that. Went, don't. It, I didn't tell you to do that. Look, don't. Why are you doing that? It was really insult to injury that she like fell on the floor. Yeah, she, like, she pushed like, herself on the floor. <laughs> she, she overreacted. It couldn't have gone worse. And I'm sure and that's a human worse. suit. You're half monster already. <laughs> I don't know. Is this about the phlegm? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I mean, she's... What is that, she, oil? Yeah. What is that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, look, I don't know why she's a robot now. No. But <laughs> oil? Yeah, I don't know. All I'm saying is, like, I, I just feel like, it, and maybe it is the falling that really does, it, because... Maybe that, yeah. Uh, it takes damn. it to it another is. level. And it's embarrassing, and it's it's very difficult. Imagine being in this position. Yeah. You are, and she's already said and declared herself as very proud, too proud, in fact, to live with her granddaughter. Yes. And we are here and she's begging. Yeah. Like, I just, ah, God, why, Christine? Yeah. Why? <laughs> and then the fucking boss is like, you handled Great that job. just yeah. right. Um, <laughs> you're who I'm trying to impress? Like, He's like, I love you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Kisses her forehead. It's like, Jesus Christ. He gives her the Laker ticket. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> be sitting right next to Jack Nicholson. <laughs> I just, it's a lot, man. Yeah. <laughs> Christine says nothing, but continues to look sorrowfully outside as Mrs. Ganish hacks more coughs into her handkerchief before getting into her 1973 Oldsmobile Delta 88. It had to be here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was I, so happy to see it. I was just waiting. I was like, it's yeah. got to be somewhere. <laughs> Later that day, as the bank closes and her coworkers begin to leave, Mr. Jax approaches Christine's desk. He commends her on work that she's done on the McPherson loan and tells her that it's very impressive. He asks if she would mind taking it home to finish it up. He'd like to show it to the regional vice president in the morning. With a big smile, Christine takes the paperwork from him, telling him that she would love to. Trying to look busy at his desk, Stu eyes them. Mr. Jack starts to walk away, but before he does, <laughs> he turns back to let Christine know that she's at the top of the list <laughs> for the assistant manager position. Stu's like, God damn. <laughs> she beams at the news, but Stu continues to stare, dumbstruck. Later, Christine strolls through the nearly empty parking garage, carrying her supplies for the McPherson loan. As she makes her way through the quiet space, she eyes a very familiar-looking Oldsmobile parked against the wall. With her car in sight, Christine quickens her pace, but just as she slides the key into the door, she hears a rattling cough coming from the direction of the Oldsmobile. She finally gets inside the car, setting her supplies down in the passenger seat, but when she looks across the garage, a thin and delicate handkerchief dances in the wind in front of the Oldsmobile. Christine stares at this, transfixed, until it slams impossibly hard against her windshield, startling her. With that job done, the handkerchief continues to float along the air, toward the back of her car. As Christine's gaze follows it, she finally sees that sitting shrouded in the shadow in the back seat is Mrs. Sylvia Ganish. Okay, so there are a lot of jump scares in this film. Mm -hmm. A lot of loudness designed in the film to make you like shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but designed. <to> me. <laughs> but the thing is, is there are also a lot of really good quiet moments of horror. Yeah. yeah. This being one of them, just seeing her outline. Yeah. Yeah. That it's was really cool. Very yeah. good. 
the handkerchief was a, uh, you know, it was all right. But well, the, <laughs> her the, reveal though, when we come over, I was like, that's fucking good. Yeah. The slamming against the windshield is pretty yeah. cheesy. <laughs> so, wait, so you did the cough, you did the handkerchief. Yeah. Yeah. That's, man, I really should have given you that <laughs> extension. <laughs> her white eye is the first thing visible as she leans forward into sight, whispering to Christine again that she shamed her. Christine tries to get out of the car, but Mrs. Ganish grabs a tight hold of her ponytail and yanks her hair back. Christine flails out desperately for something to defend herself with, and her hand falls on a stapler at the top of the supplies in her passenger seat. She flings it open and hits Mrs. Ganish with it, putting a staple through her forehead. When the old woman continues to come at her, Christine hits her with the stapler again. And when Mrs. Ganish unveils her face, her white eye is now stapled shut. She screams and grabs Christine, knocking the stapler out of her hand and causing Christine to kick out and put the car in reverse. They speed backwards until they come to a stop by crashing into another car. Mrs. Ganish lets go of Christine and throws two handfuls of blonde hair to the floor of the car. She loses so much hair in this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just I keeps, don't know yeah, how, how she is not patchy as fuck as this continues. <laughs> but instead of keeping a grasp on Christine's hair, Mrs. Ganish decides to strangle her. As Christine is being choked, she manages to push the gear shift into drive and slam on the accelerator. They fly through the parking garage, and as they get closer and closer to a collision, Christine is able to buckle her seatbelt. Mrs. Ganish doesn't realize what is happening until too late, and when she looks through the windshield, the stapler flies free from her eye. Look, <laughs> this is fantastic. It is. And the sound design of it, I watched this featurette where they were putting the scene together and they were showing just how much work goes into something like this mm -hmm. where you have the level of the score and then the sound effects that are added in in post. Yeah. Then where you, I think what they had said was Sam Raimi wanted when there are exterior shots of the car, yeah. no score. When there is interior shots of the car, mm, score. I okay. like that. And so you have this contrast of these things. Yeah, yeah. And then when it hits that moment, there is nothing but that sound of the staple. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's very silly. It is. It is. <laughs> it is. They hit an SUV and Mrs. Ganish is thrown into the passenger seat, slamming her head on the dashboard and expelling the dentures from her mouth. They go flying and Mrs. Ganish is sent into a rage once again when she realizes that she's lost her teeth. She flings herself at Christine, opening her mouth and wetly gumming the younger woman's chin. I saw in an interview with Allison Lohman when she she said that this was the most disgusting part of filming for her. I just well, don't know what this is doing for Mrs. Ganish. Yeah, I, I don't either. I was I was like, okay. She said that she they were both uncomfortable and they kept having to do it over and over. She was like, there was spit and we're on top of each other. And she said she told Sam Raimi, can I get like a like a plastic guard? to put on my chin and he was like no like it looks great the way it is i think but what's <laughs> <laughs> what's confusing oh, for me is that it appears like it's cg yeah yeah i don't know if that's for the removal of her teeth probably okay because it looks like they've done this in post and it's like they were never any real like yeah no she allison loman it was from her mouth yeah, yeah. she was like were. it was disgusting <laughs> so gross yes but Christine throws her off and she falls against the passenger side window. 
Mrs. Ganish picks up her dentures and sets them firmly in her mouth. But when she advances on Christine screaming again, Christine snatches up the ruler and stabs Mrs. Ganish in the mouth. The ruler sticks straight out of her mouth, but Mrs. Ganish is able to dislodge it and send it flying back at Christine with a few harsh coughs. It hits the window behind her and Christine kicks at the old woman with both feet, causing the car door to open and Mrs. Ganish to go spilling out onto the ground. The ruler is enough to know that the, we're dealing with something yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> beyond. Because she shouldn't have been able to do that. No, <laughs> that's really scary. Yeah. <laughs> Mrs. Ganish sits up and goes for her, but Christine is able to close and lock the door. Mrs. Ganish yells and bangs on the window. And in her triumph, Christine laughs and yells through the glass. I beat you, you old bitch. This is when Mrs. Ganish lowers herself to the ground and disappears. She ghost-faced her, dude. Yeah. She did. She did. <laughs> Christine looks out of the windows trying to get a glimpse of her, but when Mrs. Ganish stands back up, she's holding a fucking cinder block. <laughs> Both of your heads dropped. Where did she get that? We weren't expecting that. No, not at all. <laughs> she throws it breaking the window <laughs> and i laughed because she doesn't even reach inside and locks it and unlocks it she just opens the door yeah. <laughs> christine tries to hold on but mrs ganish pulls her out of the car she stands above christine and just when all seems to be lost christine shields her face instead of hurting her though mrs ganish rips a button from the wrist of christine's coat she smiles as she holds on to it and says a small chant before breathing on it hotly and holding it up to the light. She whispers the word, Lamia. Christine stares up at this and is suddenly having trouble keeping her eyes open. Blurry now, Mrs. Ganish descends on her and tells her, soon it will be you who comes begging to me. She gently places the button in Christine's open palm and folds her hand closed. Christine seems to doze, and when she opens her eyes, waving away a fly that's landed on her eyelid, Mrs. Ganish is gone. Christine is alone in the parking garage, but the evidence of their struggle, including her wrecked car, are all still there. So the fly has returned. Return of the fly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did want to talk about because this, firstly, the way that the curse itself is shot. Yeah. I love it so much. Yeah. This whole sequence is just a lot of fun with the way that it's shot and edited. Yeah. I did see a featurette that kind of explained how they were able to get all of these angles for the camera. Okay. They built what they called a puzzle car for Christine's car. <laughs> and what it is, is it had four or five different iterations you have the full car as it is, as a regular car. Mm -hmm. Then you have the full car with no wheels. Then you have the car with no driver's side. Then you have the car with no wow. rear end. And then with no front end. Okay. And so the departments that were in charge of these things, they would be able to change to any of these iterations in less than 30 seconds. Oh, damn. And so they went over this incredible shot list with the cinematographer. And so they were able to put together the sequence where it feels so fluid. Yeah. yeah. And that's also a credit to the editor. But I did want to talk about the cinematographer because incredibly prolific filmography. It's Peter Dimming who worked with... Wes Craven, David Lynch. Okay. We talked about him on The Cabin in the Woods. Oh. 
We talked about him on, I think, Scream 2, 3, and 4. Damn. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and he, okay, so he shot Lost Highway for David Lynch and Mulholland Drive, and he shot the Twin Peaks revival season, the whole thing. Damn. But he worked with Sam Raimi on quite a few films, including Evil Dead 2. Oh, very nice. And so when we talk about a lot of the camera motions that are very familiar, yes. it's because it's the same guy that shot it. I love yeah. that. Because you can feel it. Yeah. yeah. I watched a little featurette on this and Allison Lohman said that she and Lorna Raver agreed that they were allowed to hurt each other. Okay. Wow. Like that they were just going to fucking go for it. And Lorna Raver even was like, I feel like it's easier to actually react to something physically instead of just pretending like you're reacting to something physically. Yeah, it makes I sense. I was like, so then y'all should definitely be working with Sam Raimi. That's <laughs> 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 kind of his thing. He really agrees with that. <laughs> but they said that the fight scene, this whole thing in the car took two weeks to shoot. Wow. And that it was so physically exhausting. And this was one of the things when she pulls her out of the car and she lands directly on her back mm-hmm. that Allison Loman was like, I can, I can do it. And Sam Raimi was like, no, <laughs> like you're not doing that. Well, you know what the floor is made of, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. And it was funny because I saw um, they were on set and Lorna Raver, her eye is like stapled shut. You know, I mean, not real, you yeah. know, but her eye stapled shut and she's like, hey, Sam. <laughs> it's just like hearing her real voice like in this <laughs> coming from this character. But she's like, hey, Sam, should I say something here? There's a word I know for bitch. And he's like, yeah, and he's just <laughs> laughing. Like, it just looks like they had such a fun time. Yeah. But yeah, I was like, this whole thing is just wild. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's one thing that Sam Raimi talked about a lot in interviews that I saw was just the fact of having full creative control right? Yeah. and working with a team of people who not only share your vision, but want to have this fun right on this set and like you had talked about with the improv and just yeah it just seems like such a great time unless you're bruce campbell to work with (laughs) (laughs) sam raimi (laughs) later we see christine giving her statement to an officer and when clay rushes over to her she holds on to him hugging him desperately we later see them leaving a cafe clay reassuring her that once the officers go talk to mrs ganish she's not going to bother her anymore He tells her that he's even going to call Mr. Jax and have him make sure that security will walk Christine to her car. As they walk, Clay wraps his arm around her and kisses her head, expressing his gratitude that she's okay. He asks her, you are okay, right? She says that she is, but when there is clearly something nagging at her, she admits to Clay that maybe she could have gotten Mrs. Gannish another extension on her loan. Clay tells her not to do that. Mrs. Gannish had already been given two extensions. When you don't pay your mortgage, you lose your house. That's just how it goes. Did you think that from this little bit of dialogue, I thought she told him everything, right? It, it's she was it's like kind of like dipping your toe in the water. <laughs> like me, like, I don't know. Maybe I could have fought a little harder. Yeah. It oh. wasn't like it was my decision. Yeah. <laughs> he made it very clear. I chose the promotion. (laughs) Behind them, though, we follow a flurry of leaves gliding toward them in a sudden wind. Clay is continuing to tell Christine that it's not her fault, but Christine has turned to stare at the leaves. They lead her to a neon sign buzzing in a window, announcing spiritual advisor and psychic with an evil eye between the words. 
I don't know if it's just you would be reading into everything, you know, mm-hmm. because to me, I'd be like, honey, did you just see the scariest fucking win I've ever seen in my life? <laughs> <laughs> the scariest win. But she doesn't say anything. And it's more just kind of like a sign pointing you in this direction. Yeah. yeah. And even so, Clay is like, okay. Yeah, yeah. whatever. <laughs> the whistling and whooshing of the wind around her dissipates and Clay asks what's wrong. Christine is surprised that he didn't experience what just happened and tells him that she knows it's going to sound weird, but she wants to get her fortune read. Clay laughs and offers to read her fortune himself. He feigns that he's getting a vision of them getting into the car, going home and relaxing. But Christine isn't laughing. She wants to do this. Clay asks if this is because of what happened with Mrs. Ganish. And before she can answer, he says that he thinks they should get her home. Christine looks up at him, though, and asks if he'll just do this for her. Just do it, man. She's already had a bad day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just just do it. If it, it, it Will it help her feel better? Yeah. Then let's go. Yeah. Like, yeah. God damn, dude. And then he's the whole way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we immediately cut to them entering the shop. As he peruses the postcards by the door, Clay laments that he hopes none of his students see him here. If they do, he'll only be able to teach hypocrisy 101. All right. (laughs) (laughs) He joins Christine and looking at the strange items behind the glass of the counter. And when he starts to joke about the monkey head at its center, Christine shushes him. Just on time, out steps Rom Joss, played by Dalib Brow. He introduces himself as a seer. This, first of all, his performance in this film is fantastic. Yeah. And this was a really, really good few years for Dalip Rao because I remember he was also in Inception. Okay. Oh. And then I remember you had said that you saw on his IMDb that he was in Avatar. Yeah. And I think that I saw that he was in the sequel as well. And there's uh, there's like 40 of them or something now. He's right. Gonna, yeah. I don't know what James Cameron's doing. Nobody knows what James Cameron's doing. <laughs> Dude, he broadcasts every interview from underwater, it seems. Like he's- <laughs> What the fuck? He's like, I'm, I just I live here now. <laughs> he's Aquaman? Or- <laughs> yeah, I guess so. That's the plot twist. But um, Dalip Rao, I saw in this featurette that he had a hand in this character and this shop. And he really, really put his all into this character. He created a backstory with Sam Raimi, an entire background. Okay. That I love that. It, yeah. it comes into play in small ways through things that he described to the prop master and the set designer so that they can incorporate into this shop. Mm-hmm. But it never comes into play as far as what we see in the film. Right. right. So it's all these little small details that really flesh him out as a character that were his idea. That's really cool. That's very cool because I read that people were worried that he was too young Hmm. for the role that they needed him to play. But Sam Raimi said that there is no age requirement for wisdom. That's fair. So it seems like it was the right choice. He does really, really great in this. And the fact that he brought, like you said, so much to the role. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think honestly... The age that he is works perfectly for what comes later in the film. Yeah. Because it feels like I need to take this. For sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But Christine introduces herself and Clay. And when Clay jokes that Rom probably already knew that, Rom placates him with a smile. Christine asks if he can read her fortune. And he affirms that he does have the ability to see certain energies. And those energies can sometimes tell of things to come. That'll be $60. (laughs) Clay is taken aback by this, declaring $60 to be a little steep for what he's offering. But Rom calmly concedes that if they're not serious, they can go. 
Clay tries to take him up on this, but Christine isn't trying to hear it. She says that she'll pay, but Clay won't let her. He hands his credit card to Rom, who accepts it happily and leads them into the back room. (laughs) Christine sits at the table, and when Clay tries to join her, Rom gestures to a couch behind Christine instead. Clay does as he's told as Rom invites Christine to see what the fates have in store for her destiny. As Rom turns off the overhead light and lights candles, Clay offers that Freud said destiny isn't an act of fate. Instead, it's something created by our subconscious to control our conscious choices. Rom admits that this is true, but we can't understand the world by intellect alone. Clay points out that Rom is quoting Carl Jung's psychological types. He quips that Jung is the New Ager's favorite psychologist, and again, Rom accepts this. He says it's because Jung wasn't afraid to bring God into the equation. Clay laughs, ready to debate further, but Christine tells him to stop. It's like, look, this is not why yeah. we're here. <laughs> why don't you wait outside? I know. <laughs> like, if this is what we're doing. Because he's like, oh, how droll. Like, it's like, it's like <laughs> shut up. Or you pay your 60 bucks after. Yes. And then you have your time. And, and then, then we can uh, talk shit to each other for an hour. <laughs> It's like, Clay, shut up. (laughs) But with the bickering out of the way, Rom takes Christine's hand to begin their session. Rom closes his eyes and tells Christine that she works with money. Unable to see Clay making skeptical faces behind her, Christine tells him that he's right. Rom continues that she's recently lost something. Christine tries to place this, but she doesn't think that this is right. Rom amends his statement. She hasn't lost anything, but something has been taken from her. Christine again denies this, but when Rom flips her wrist over, he sees that she's missing a button. Christine is like, yes! Mm-hmm. See, here's the thing. It, it appears if you're Clay, this is a cold reading. Yeah. yeah. And it feels like it's a technique or whatever. But the thing is, is that he switched from lost to taken and he called out the button. That's a big risk if you're not legitimate. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I know most people work with money. She works at a fucking bank. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. And off the bat, he said that. Yeah. yeah. Clay finally speaks up that anyone can see that she's missing a button. But Christine tells him that it was very strange. Mrs. Ganish took a button from her sleeve. Clay asks why she would do that, but Rom, annoyed, pleads with both of them to be quiet. He continues to focus, light and shadow dancing on his face as a strange wind moves through the room. Christine watches as scratches slice into a photo on the wall, but Rom is still holding her hand gently and focused on her. He stares into her face until suddenly something fiery and demonic screeches as it lurches for him. All right. There are a couple, <laughs> <laughs> there are a couple of moments like this where it's like, all right, no, really, yeah. no, that's too much. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, you had me at the scratches. Right. Yeah. yeah. The wind. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like, we're going to be subtle. And then it's like in your face. It's like, okay. All right. Afraid, Rom jumps away from the table. From the other side of the room, he tells the couple that that's enough for tonight. Christine wants to know what's wrong, but consulting his watch, Rom just says that he's tired and it's late. He offers to refund their money, but this isn't good enough for Christine. That would scare me. Yes. Yeah. The fact that he offered that and his reaction to everything. His reaction yeah. and the fact that he's like, look, let me give you your money back. Yeah. Like, yeah. That I think that immediately would worry me was how worried he looked. And yeah. then he was like, look, I'll give you your, you can have your money back. I'll pay you 60. <laughs> <laughs> Just get <laughs> the fuck yeah. out. <laughs> 
When Rom tries to walk past them to leave the room, Christine grabs his arm. She asks if he saw something, and he nods. A dark spirit has come over her. Christine somehow doesn't understand what this means. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he put it pretty plainly. <laughs> Rom asks if she's blasphemed the dead while visiting the graveyard. Did she play with the Ouija board? Did she consort with practicing dark arts? The answer to all of these is no. And Rom's like, maybe someone cursed you. <laughs> well, I mean, it's the logical next step. I, yeah. will, I will say when he asked about the Ouija board and the dark arts, <laughs> Clay, gets, Clay goes, hey, take it easy, man. Yeah. It's like, what? Yeah. What are okay, you talking thank about? Because I thought the same thing. I was like, what? Why? Yeah. What you get upset about? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In the car afterwards, Clay dismisses it all as Rom making a few good guesses. Chuckling, he calls it convenient that he also gave them his business card. He chalks it all up to a scam, but Christine points out that he didn't even want their money. Clay's like, he tried to give it back, but in the end, he took it, didn't he? See, now that does... <laughs> yeah. We didn't see that part. No. <laughs> He's like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Run along. <now. laughs> he, did. he did do the reading. Yeah, he, he did. He's he's owed the money, but at the same time, I was really surprised to hear that. Yeah, and it does change a lot, really. <laughs> it doesn't look as good. Christine guesses that that's true, and silence falls over them as they make their way home. After dropping Christine off, Clay stands in the doorway. He tells her that he's going to meet with the man towing her car, and that he'll be back in an hour. He tells their kitten that Christine cradles in her arms to take care of her before kissing his girlfriend and leaving. Christine closes and locks the door behind him, but we see a strange wind pick up outside of their house. Inside, Christine hears a low moaning of the wind as she works on her laptop. When a timer goes off, she takes food out of the oven, but when she goes to move the cookbook, a photo falls out of it. It's a young Christine standing next to a pig in front of a sign that reads Pork Queen Fair holding she's holding ribbons. She wants yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. That's some pig. Some <laughs> pig. Christine looks at the photo of herself in disgust before crumpling it in her hands. So this whole sequence really ties into what we were talking about before. Yeah. In the intro as far as possible subtext in the film. Right. Yeah. I did also want to say him dropping her off, watching the car go around the neighborhood. They've set us up to be unsettled by everything. Yeah. yeah. Because when I see a fucking screeching demon can hop out of anything. <laughs> Literally. I'm like, oh, is this like that viral video we saw as children? <laughs> like, oh, no. Um, this isn't a car commercial. No. And I also have to add that uh, that cat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So cute. New favorite character just dropped. Yes. Yeah. I um. Very, um, we'll learn. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just get past yes, it. Yes, please. There's a thudding at the door and both Christine and the kitten look very concerned. As she slowly makes her way to the door, loud creaking is heard on the wood overhead. It echoes loudly through the house and Christine looks around, quiet and visibly terrified. She finally approaches the window and we zoom in on her <laughs> many times. <laughs> <laughs> To see that the creaking is just a gate outside moving in the wind. That shot was hilarious. Like, it went like three times too many. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It is. But <laughs> it was you, hilarious But to you me. know what it makes me think of hmm. is Evil Dead 2 when everything's creaking really yes. loud oh, yeah, around yeah. the cabin. Mm -hmm. He's like, 
that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> I am the the sound design in this section. Yeah, is wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I also, again, towards what we were saying earlier, it's very interesting how all this shit started to intensify once she crumpled that photo. Yeah. Oh shit. So I don't, you know. Huh. Interesting. The relief is short lived, though, when the wind kicks up leaves toward Christine's face. She lets out a small scream, and the lights go out. The wind breaks through the window of the back door in the kitchen. When Christine enters the kitchen, all of the pots hanging overhead clang together violently and loudly. They stop abruptly and Christine rushes to grab a flashlight. She stops when she sees a strangely shaped shadow moving along the wall. When its outline finally comes together, it is a horned figure and it lunges toward Christine. There's a slapping sound when Christine is knocked over onto the floor. She gets back up, disoriented, confused, and bleeding from her lip. But the lights come back on, and when she looks around, she's alone. Later, Clay gives her a bag of frozen peas for her lip. He is incensed that Mrs. Ganish came to the house. He picks up the phone to call the police, but Christine says that it wasn't her. Clay asks who it was then, and when Christine says that she doesn't know, he insists that it had to be Mrs. Ganish. Christine, though, says that it wasn't anybody. Clay reasons that the lights were out and Christine just couldn't see who it was, but she is adamant that there wasn't anyone here. Clay goes to her and asks gently, who did this then? Who hit her in the face? So he's doing that thing we hate. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, I know, what did he say? He was going to where her car was towed, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Why Why did he leave her alone? after? Like, why didn't he go? Why didn't she go with him? Why? There, there are things where it feels like we, there's moments where we just need to get her alone. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but hold on, though. Narratively does not make sense. Mm-hmm. You're right. Because if he's going to meet the guy that towed her car, he's going to drive her car back, but leave his car there. He and then we find out in the morning that the car is just parked at the bank, the, her rental yeah. car, which made no sense to me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It, there's you can't look too close. <laughs> <laughs> but later, Christine lays in bed as Clay stands in the hallway talking to an unseen doctor played by Ted Raimi. <laughs> the second you heard his voice, yeah. you're like, that's that's Ted Raimi. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't see him. No, not at all. The doctor chalks this up to post-traumatic stress from Christine being attacked earlier in the day. He points to her showing signs of panic and paranoia. The doctor leaves and Clay joins Christine on the bed. When he asks how she's doing, she tells him that she's feeling better after talking with the doctor. He told her that victims of violence, and Clay says it with her, re-experience their trauma. Christine concedes that she just saw it more than what it was, and she admits that she feels embarrassed, but Clay assures her that she never needs to feel embarrassed with him. Christine nods at this, and they kiss. Okay, for me, and Clay, I will say for me at least, redeems himself a little bit later on, Mm -hmm. but I was annoyed at the whole, no, no, there was someone here, like you just didn't see them, but like he wasn't there what annoys me here is Christine being like, yeah, maybe I did fucking imagine. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, yeah. You you were bitch slapped. You were bleeding. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just wild to me. I know that she talked to a doctor, but just to immediately be like, yeah, no, you're right. Maybe none of that happened. Yeah, that was a bit odd. Yeah, and she literally says, I misinterpreted it. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. 
no. Yeah, I didn't. I, I was a little confused because I took it like that. But then I was like, is she just saying that to get him off her back? You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah, yeah, repeating it so that he'll. Right. Clearly, she's like, he doesn't. He's not. If I tell him that this shadow came and fucked me up, he's going to be mad. You know what I mean? He's he's not going to believe me. It's like, so can't trust you. Yeah. 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 (laughs) It was all a dream or whatever. (laughs) But Clay proposes that they take a trip on Saturday to his parents' cabin in Santa Barbara. Christine is very excited by this and immediately agrees. Clay tells her that it's in nature and private and she's going to love it. This has to be. Right? Yeah. Minus the Santa Barbara. Yeah. yeah. That's the cap. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but he tells her that they can just talk and stuff. They start to kiss again. That night as they sleep, the wind carries a fly in through the window that slowly and quietly creaks open. The fly lands on the screen, rubbing its grubby little paws together before flying down to Christine. Why were you so mean to the fly? Because <laughs> well, it was. Yeah, we didn't need to see it that close. It was It was right in our <laughs> face. Grubby? <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any flies with clean hands? Well, no. no. <laughs> Go on. I don't know why I'm defending flies all and, of a sudden. <laughs> was he like letting us know that he knows that we're here? Or yeah. Because everything got blurry behind yeah. him. He's just like, hey. It's, well, and it looked like, like, yeah. <laughs> like he's bringing his hands together. These flies are like a big part of this curse, though. Yeah. Which yeah. it kind of, I mean, it, it really does feel like disease and rot. Yeah. Okay. And, and then what we see in a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's kind of bad. <laughs> <laughs> but it lands on her face. And when she bats it away in her sleep, it lands again on her eyelid. Her face's twitches shoo it away. But it returns again and again before crawling into her nose. Finally, it wriggles its way into her mouth. Christine wakes up, coughing and gasping for air. She looks around the room before slowly settling back into bed. But when she does, it's not Clay that's beside her. It's Mrs. Gannish, looking discolored and kind of dead. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Gannish growls and gets on top of Christine. There's a short struggle before Mrs. Gannish opens her mouth and vomits a flood of bugs onto Christine's face and open mouth. Christine turns her head and spits out the bugs and maggots. But suddenly it's morning. I did read that this was not in the original script and he added it as they were going along. That's wild. <laughs> her being game for this. Yeah. <laughs> more power to her. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Could not be me. Couldn't be me. I'm not going to lie. I would, I would think and think and think and like to hope that I would be like, just do it. Just do it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if I can. I'm There's no fucking lie. way. I saw this featurette where they were showing because Mrs. Ganish's head in this is a puppet. Okay. Mm. And so they have this giant plunger that is filled with maggots and bugs <laughs> and worms. And they just plunge it right into Alison Loman's face. And <laughs> Sam Raimi told her to open her mouth. <laughs> and she did. And then he called cut. And she, of course, you know, spit Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but then I guess, I mean, but then as well, it looks like it, I can't prove this, but it looks like they only did it once because the scene 
that you see in the featurette looks exactly like the scene you see in this. I okay, hope. Okay, we're hope. good. Yeah. So I hope as well. Fuck yeah. We'll be at what, whatever we get. That's what. That's what we're using. Yeah. <laughs> There's no fucking way. You said Sam at the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, what the fuck you, you said? You said I hate you, Sam. <laughs> that's weird. I'll take the single fly. He even did that down the hatch thing with his hands. <laughs> yeah. Then he crawled inside. Don't mind if it yeah. do. <laughs> <laughs> but sun is shining through the windows and when christine wakes with a start she wakes clay too as he comforts her she tells him that she couldn't wake up when clay drops her off at the bank he points out the rental car in the parking lot that was dropped off the night before for yeah. some reason. <laughs> she thanks him and kisses him before getting out of the car before she can leave, though, with a smirk, Clay advises her to try not to piss off any old ladies today. Christine laughs before heading inside. Too soon. It's, yeah. it's really soon <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to be joking about this. Yeah. yeah, let's get out of this situation and then maybe five years, I think. <laughs> yeah, the, the, seven. Something, yeah. yeah. Maybe when my wounds heal. Yeah. <laughs> a goat visited me last night, dude. Like <laughs> A doctor had no to sure. visit me last night. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is fresh. Yeah. Once she settles into her desk at the bank, she's distracted by the loud buzzing of flies. She looks around for a moment before seemingly realizing that the sound is coming from her own stomach. Stu comes over, asking if she's really just now getting here, and takes it in stride when she asks if he's the hall, hall monitor. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I loved that she was kind of firing back because she really just took it from him yesterday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, she's going through a lot. I think that her filter is it's just... It's enough. Yeah. 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 Stu takes a stack of her papers and asks her what this is before he starts to look through them. Frustrated, she takes them back and asks what he wants. But he reminds her that she's supposed to finish teaching him about loan procedures. He's got a pen in his hand, ready to take notes. But she tells him that she's got a lot on her mind. She asks if they can just do this tomorrow. Stu tells her that of course they can. He'll just pop over to Mr. Jax's office and let him know that she's too busy. Oh. What? I hate, him. Yeah. I hate him so much. <laughs> she's like, no, 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 we can do it now. Stu struts back to the desk and takes a seat. Christine starts to answer his first question, but she stopped when she hears a noise. She looks down at her desk to find Mrs. Ganish's yellowed and cracked fingernails drumming on her desk. This was great. Yeah, I really loved too that you can see the sleeve of Stu's shirt yeah. on the hand. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's so good. And I I didn't see any of this in the featurette, but you can tell they did this exactly that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's just fantastic. She looks back up at Stu, who is impatient for her to continue, before looking back down at the drumming nails. She struggles to find her words, and when Stu continues to ask her, and and. She jumps to her feet and yells at him and get your filthy pig knuckle off my desk. Pig knuckle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> breezing past that. I think. <laughs> and it's very annoying just to see him. She's teaching you and you're like, yeah, I know. Yeah. Oh, my God. Even like when you need something from me. Yeah. He's trash. You know what she should have done is just teach him poorly teach him wrong she should oh i don't know then he's gonna go tell and be like she taught me wrong yeah, mr yeah. jacks christine's <laughs> being rude to me she said my hand was a big knuckle <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna fire her right <laughs> <laughs> without another word Stu grabs his notes and leaves but everyone in the bank is looking now 
Her phone starts to ring and she snatches it up. But when she sees bright red blood dripping down on the papers in front of her, she calls herself Christine Blood before correcting her name to Christine Brown. Christine Blood is like one of the funniest goddamn things. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the escalation of everything that's happening and she's trying to get her mind right. She's like, Christine Blood. Like, yeah. It's chaos. So yeah. funny, dude. She looks up at Mr. Jax as he approaches her desk and indicates her bleeding nose. She asks the customer to hold before slamming the phone down. Mr. Jax offers to help her, but she assures him she's got it all under control. He stands in front of her, holding out a handkerchief, but she raises her head for some reason. (laughs) And blood begins to shoot out of her nose all over Mr. Jax. He and the file folders in his hand are all sprayed with her blood. He goes, what is it with you? Well, it's that's that's yeah, a little well, annoying, I'd imagine. <laughs> yeah, I was just not doing it on purpose. <laughs> I look, I I don't, I would, I've never had a nosebleed in my life where I was just like, whoa, yeah, just like, yeah and lifted my head. So yeah, what is it with you? Okay, it's a great question. <laughs> he turns to his secretary, played by Joanne Barron, asking repeatedly, "Did I get any of it in my mouth?" <laughs> It's like I don't know. I know, dude. That is hilarious to me every time I watch this because it's like, how? Why are you asking me? Did you get any of it in your mouth? And he asked it like five times, dude. (laughs) His secretary whisks him away, leaving Christine to apologize profusely before fleeing from the bank, sobbing. We hear Mr. Jax's confused voice and his secretary's reassuring one, promising to clean him up as Stu creeps over to Christine's bloody desk now that everyone is otherwise occupied. Sneakily, he snatches up the McPherson file. In this moment of pure fucking chaos, when Mm. somebody is having a meltdown, you're still calculated enough to be like, hmm. Yeah. Rubbing your hands together like that fucking fly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) But I wanted to talk about the nosebleed because... I read that in the script, this was just a regular ass nosebleed. Really? The blood drips on the paper. Yeah. And then it escalated. Sam Raimi was like, but what if? <laughs> well, I mean, for a scene like this, it's got to be bigger. Yeah. yeah. I did see a featurette with um, Greg Nicotero. Really? Yeah. <laughs> the special effects were done by K&B. Oh, all right. Too many credits to list. Oh, yeah. yeah. We'd be here for another four hours, I believe. <laughs> But he had talked about what they did to accomplish this. Okay. And it's very interesting because the way he made it sound, it sounds kind of dangerous, honestly. What he said was they wanted it to look like the blood was actually coming from her nostril. Yeah. And so what they did was they kind of created this reservoir that went into her nostril but then there was a plug inside, and so when the blood shot up, it hit the inside of her nostril and spouted Ooh. out. And so the thing was is that it was 80 to 90 pounds of pressure the first time they did it. <gasps> no. And so, and he said it as like an offhanded comment. He was like, so, you know, if the thing moved aside, we're just shooting this blood at 80 pounds of pressure into her brain. And I was like, so you're telling me the only thing <laughs> oh between my- that happening and it not happening is a t- small plug in her nostril? Yeah, it's a fucking uh, rubber band holding it. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, it'll be fine. It's like, wow, man. 
Um, but the other thing that was very interesting, and it's just kind of indicative of the production working together, all these different parts, mm-hmm. but the production designer, Steve Sacklid, who actually, he was the art director for The Quick and the Dead and Spider-Man 2 for Sam Raimi. Yeah, oh. very nice. But he intentionally designed this bank set mm-hmm. so that the painting would be so drab on the walls that the blood would stand out more mm. oh, okay and so you, it is a very red blood yes and you wonder how much the small things like this really create this illusion to make it even redder yeah, yeah. but we catch up with christine consulting a paper in her hands as she walks down the street dabbing the last of the blood from her nose before tossing the tissue into the garbage Her shirt is still deeply stained, but she finally reaches the house that she's been looking for, pausing briefly when she notices Mrs. Ganish's Oldsmobile in the driveway. I noticed the license plate said 999 on it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, Hmm. yeah, it's kind of close to another thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She knocks on the door, but turns when the wind kicks up. It rattles homemade wind chimes and makes the trees in the yard dance. When Christine turns back around, the door is slightly open. In the pitch black of the house inside, she can only see one eye looking out at her. That shot's incredible. Yes. The woman inside asks what she wants, and Christine asks after Mrs. Ganish. When the woman asks who she is, Christine lies and identifies herself as a friend. The woman opens the door the rest of the way, revealing herself fully as Alenka Ganesh, played by Boyana Navakovich. She tells Christine that she already knows exactly who she is. Her grandmother told her that she would be coming. She's the woman from the bank that took her house. Christine corrects her that she didn't take Mrs. Ganesh's house. The bank did. She just works there. She says that she even tried to help her get her house back, but her boss wouldn't allow it. I can't believe this shit. Yeah. I, <laughs> she's, try- <laughs> she's trying, man. I think this is now when I should probably tell you what Sam Raimi said. Oh, God. He said in that interview with Cinema.com that, and he said straight up, he said, Christine is a morally bankrupt character. And he said that the thing is, is that the actress playing her makes you sympathize with her through her performance. Yeah. And so it's these things working against each other because the more we know of Christine and the more we see of her actions, she kind of sucks. Yeah, Yeah. I did. I watched this twice and it really hit more the second time I was watching it, especially something that she does later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I, I guess it's a credit, like he said to Allison Lohman, the fact that I'm still like, man, I hope she beats this after she does <laughs> yeah. a yeah. moment of really no return <laughs> yeah. in a little while. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. It does make it, I guess, there are, so are everyone's a villain or nobody's a villain or I don't. Well, I mean, it's kind of what you sacrifice to climb the corporate ladder. Yeah. You know, and what she is deeming as more important. Mm -hmm. And it is in its own way without explicitly having like a moral at the end or something. It's a morality tale. It is. Exactly as you said. Yeah. Alenka asks if she is really going to stand on her porch and lie to her face. Christine hangs her head in shame. But Alenka jarringly asks, you used to be a real fat girl, didn't you? Christine looks up at her shocked, but when Alenka only stares back smugly, Christine says that she was. 
Alinka tells her snidely that she can tell before informing Christine that she's not welcome here and trying to close the door in her face. This feels very odd to come up in this moment. Yes. So again, it just feels like you're repeating this thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But what does it mean? Right. You know? Christine stops the door, though, and pleads with Alenka that she needs to see Mrs. Ganish. She just needs to get her to forgive her, and she'll even help her get her house back. Alenka asks her snidely if she's going to make everything all better for her. Christine says yes, and Alenka lets her inside. Once inside, she leads Christine to a small flight of stairs, pointing her in the direction of Mrs. Ganish. Christine starts to walk down the hallway slowly, but she is suddenly ushered into a room by a cackling woman played by Sherry Franklin. Inside, there seems to be a party. People are drinking, eating food, laughing, talking, playing music, but the noises of the room drown out when Christine sees Mrs. Ganish's delicate handkerchief draped over a goblet at the head of the table. So there was something in this moment that was very interesting. Okay. I saw on IMDb that the only languages they say are spoken in this film are English, Spanish, Hungarian, and Czech. Okay. Mm -hmm. But there was this moment where there's this gentleman at a table, and in what he's saying, I heard the word zizny, which means life in Russian. And so I was like, huh. And so the fact that it wasn't listed, I wanted to see, you know, what is going on here because something very dramatic is happening at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I asked my beloved partner, Jules, Mm -hmm. if they would help me translate what is being said in this sentence. But the interesting thing is it kind of leads to something that has been a prevalent theme in the film in a way and also drives this scene forward into where we see Christine noticing something too. Okay. So what this man says is, Takaya krasivaya zhenshnibila, nikagda vzhizni, nikavolni obdila, volt zdis vsigda sedila, raskavliskaski pezni pila. And what that means is, she was a very beautiful woman, she never offended anyone, And she used to sit right there and sing songs and tell stories. But the second sentence, which Jules translated more artfully, is she never hurt a fly. Oh, Oh, okay. Very interesting. Yeah. And the fact that he motions over to this glass where her handkerchief is, he's directing the camera to yeah. that glass. Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. But the fact that it's not even listed at all as one of the languages spoken in the film was really surprising. Huh. That's pretty cool though because it is a little like if you work for it or yeah. if you already understand Russian. Mhm. It's like a little treat. Yeah. I caught one word and I just had to reach out to Jules. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And thank you very much Jules, of course. I was just really interested because firstly, you know, Duolingo and everything, learning bit by bit, yeah. small words, and you wonder what else you're missing in other films where they don't provide yeah. the subtitles yeah. for yeah. other languages. Yeah. You know? well, there was even Spanish at the beginning that didn't have yeah. subtitles. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's just interesting. He really should have added somewhere in there that that bitch could scrap with the best of them. because yeah. she-, <laughs> she kicked all her asses. She- yeah. <laughs> for not hurting anything or yeah. anything. Um, I call bullshit, but you know, okay. Before we really get into the meat of what is happening here, uh-huh. um, I did read that Scott Spiegel uh, makes a cameo here at the funeral. 
That is wild. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I think he was a fake shimp in a few of the <laughs> Evil Dead films, and I think <laughs> he co-wrote Evil Dead 2. Oh, that's shit. great. That's I again Sam Raimi working with everyone, you know? Yeah. yeah. But Christine's eyes finally settle on a picture centered in the room. Staring back at her is the visage of Sylvia Ganish. This isn't a party. It's a death feast. Christine is horrified and tries to back away, but she trips and falls right into the table where Mrs. Ganish's body lies in her casket. The table breaks and Christine falls to the floor, but the casket does as well, spilling Mrs. Ganish out of it and on top of Christine. Her open mouth locks onto Christine's chin again like it did in the car, but this time a shocking amount of green phlegm. I don't, I don't know. Is this supposed to be formaldehyde? I, I See, it's, that's that's what I thought. Like it's fucking disgusting. Oh, it is. <laughs> it is. It is. But it flows from her mouth into Christine's mouth and on her face. It continues to flow as Christine screams for someone to get her off of her. And when they finally wrench her body away, Mrs. Ganish's dead hand is gripped into Christine's hair, and she pulls loose another handful of her blonde locks in the process. <laughs> Oh my God! <laughs> I know what the fuck. <laughs> she she uh, in death and in life she does what she yeah. does. <laughs> Snatching Christine bald. <laughs> they gently set Mrs. Ganish back up on the table as Christine gets to her feet. Elenka stands next to her and asks if she's still gonna make everything all right for her. Christine turns and meets her eyes as Elenka tells her plainly, "You deserve everything that is coming to you." One thing I will say that I forgot to mention as they all walk in and we see everything. Yeah. This set design, this set decoration, I guess, mm -hmm. the way that this scene looks with the colors, it is so vibrant. Yeah. yeah. I was very impressed. And that's something that comes up later at another location that we, I guess, revisit. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I did kind of leaf through the screenplay a little bit. Uh -huh. And I read that this scene takes place later in the film in the screenplay. And there is a scene where she goes to Mrs. Ganish's house and talks to her. Oh, okay. Well, if you look at it in the context of the film, this is tomorrow. This yeah. is the next day. Yeah. I, I Again, I leave through the screenplay, so I don't know if it was always the three days thing right. yeah. or not, but the fact that there really isn't, it only makes things feel even more urgent. Yeah. Yes. And as if there is way less of a way out for Christine. Yeah. yeah. But the celebration of Sylvia Ganish's life continues around Christine. Mrs. Ganish's lifeless eyes bore directly into hers. Now, I... Does she really deserve all of this? Like whatever's fixing to happen, I don't. It's a, it's a steep punishment. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Look, you steal a necklace and then. Yeah, I well, mean, no, I guess. I, I know. <laughs> People I have know. paid for less. <laughs> hey, but even that was that needed. No. No. Well. <laughs> we immediately cut to the shop where Rom breaks it to Christine that he believes she is being plagued by a Lamia. So I was interested of this uh, Lamia. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to uh, to kind of check it out because, again, you know what I mean? This is we're working with another kind of demon or entity here. Um, so I did look and it appears that the Lamia is fucking old. Really? Yeah. From uh, this is like Greek mythology. Mm. So Lamia was queen of ancient Libya. 
Uh, Lamia had an affair with Zeus. All right. Of, of course. Yeah, because Zeus, you know. Dirty dick Zeus. Yes. <laughs> was that a thing? Well, Dude, he, yeah, Zeus yeah. was talking a lot of. He yeah. was getting it in with everyone and everything. Yeah, yeah. that <laughs> wasn't in Disney's Hercules. <laughs> <laughs> they left a lot of things out yeah, of Disney's Hercules. Apparently so. <laughs> <laughs> so they had children together. Zeus's wife, Hera, took their children. Uh, Lamia went mad over the loss because uh, she couldn't find her kids. Mm-hmm. So Zeus, he he bestowed her the power of prophecy uh, and the ability to take her eyes out because his wife cursed her to never be able to close her eyes so she can mourn and obsess over the fact that she lost her children. Oh. So Lamia would come and take children just when she'd find them. So it was like, okay, you know, this is centered around kids. This isn't yeah. people. So, but... I mean, it, I guess the Zeus thing and his wife cursing her and I get it. But again, everything I found was it was children, children, children. The way it's told is it almost sounds like it's one of those like cautionary tales. Like, don't be out too late or you might, you yeah. know, yeah. Well, if you're it, a kid. And it was, it says that later on Lamia was used as a boogeyman type. Mm. So, you know what I mean? You can't stay out past a certain time. You need to go to bed or Lamia is going to get you. It's like, yeah. oh, oh, uh-uh. But Hera stayed with his ass. Well, like, I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> it's Zeus. <laughs> <laughs> where, where are you going? I, <laughs> there is, I had a really, really ridiculous thought as you were telling your story, and I'm sorry to have had it. <laughs> but whenever he said that she was allowed to take her eyes out, I, was, I thought it was to dip them in water. <laughs> <laughs> because she had to keep them open. So he's like, I guess I'll give you a little. I'm, I guess it's the only break. way she can go to sleep. or That's she can, You know what I mean? Because she can't close her eyes. He's like, look, at least you can take them out and get some kind of fuck. <laughs> Really I'm just thinking of the pale man from Pan's Labyrinth. Oh yeah. man, those are in his hands, right? Is that mm-hmm. Lamia? Ooh. Was Zeus fucking the pale? Man? Oh, right. oh, all right, got that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's almost like you had talked about on the Nun, right? Where Valak is a cool name to use, yes. yeah, but is not at all what we see in the film, right? Well, I read an interview where Sam Raimi was like, yeah, it's not faithful to what it actually is. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) But it's got a cool origin story. It does. You know what I mean? But Christine realizes that Lamia is the word that Mrs. Ganish said that day. Rom draws her attention to a book in front of them. He describes the Lamia as only being summoned for the darkest of deeds. He calls it the Black Goat, and he reveals its tactics. For the first three days, the Lamia appears as a nasty spirit tormenting its victim. In the book, there is a drawing of a woman being plagued by a sinister shadow. The next step for the Lamia is to reveal itself as the taker of souls. This is when they come for the person with the cursed object, an object taken from them, cursed, and then given back. Christine pulls the button from her pocket, asking Rom if it's this, and he backs away from it. She, I don't fucking blame yeah. them. No, not at all. You bring this here to my shop? <laughs> yeah. Mm-mm. Get out. <laughs> she proposes that she could just burn it, but Rom tells her it doesn't matter. No matter what condition the button is in, she is still the owner of it. The Lamia is still going to come and take her. 
Christine asks where, and after a moment of hesitation, Rom looks down at the book in front of them, open to a drawing of someone being pulled down into the fiery depths of hell. I very much love this countdown. Mm -hmm. It makes me like with the ring. Yeah. It just adds stakes and tension. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, One very funny thing that I thought was kind of interesting that I think we see a little bit later with another one of the books, or maybe it was this book. Okay. But um, they're all written by Ram Joss. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> he's like this guy really knows what he's yeah. talking about <laughs> frantic christine asks how she can get rid of this rom says that she could try to appease the spirit with the blood offering she could try to sacrifice a small creature like a chicken this is a hard no for christine she's a vegetarian that volunteers at the puppy shelter she's not going to kill an animal Rom tells her sadly that she'll be surprised what she's willing to do when the Lamia comes for her. That's fucking scary, dude. I, yeah, I mean. Right, what you gonna do when Lamia comes for you? (laughs) It's like, no, no, no. (laughs) On Sunday. Yeah. (laughs) It's all promo. It is. (laughs) He presents her with the book to aid her on this new chapter. And Christine looks down at the title, Animal Sacrifices in the Service of Deities. When she opens it up, there's a picture of a man plunging his knife into a lamb that he holds upside down. The only color on the page is the red of the animal's blood flowing onto the ground. Christine is back at home now, and when the kitten mews at her, she tells it hi and pets it before closing the book and setting it on the table. As soon as I saw the kitten, I was like, fuck! Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was hoping it was a massive misdirection. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as she does this, there's a loud creaking sound. We creep up behind her, and when she slowly turns around in our direction, a black shadow speeds past the window she just turned away from. Christine stands and starts to walk slowly in the direction of the strange noises, but when she looks out the window, the door to the gate is waving in the wind again. Suddenly, though, a horned shadow lurches up in front of it, and when she backs away, the shadow is racing past every window she looks at. Its angry growl echoes through the house. Christine runs upstairs as the music gets frantic, but when she reaches the second floor, the music stops. She watches what little she can see of the stairs as the front door opens, spilling light onto them. Footsteps crash on the stairs, loud, slow, and heavy, and the demonic shadow of the Lamia dances against the wall as they continue. All right, so we got to talk about this for a second. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot. This is the visual that scared the hell out of 18-year-old me. Yeah. And would keep it's good. me up at night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the thing was, okay, so uh, my cat, I would leave the door open for her to come and sleep in my bed with me. Mm-hmm. And there was a lamp in the living room that was always on for her. And it sometimes would cast a light <laughs> through There's the crack a of the door. That looks like a lampia. It's a lampia. But it, it, it is, man. It's like, it's really, really effective. Yeah. It's quiet and it's daylight. Yeah. Yes. That's yeah. the other thing. All of these things working together. And it is very just, I don't know. I think it's also the feeling of there's like more than one shadow, it seems like. Yeah. I don't know. The whole thing, I, it still scares the hell out of me, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I did not sleep last I, Yeah. <laughs> this was a bad, bad night. I do enjoy that this, that the Lamia gives no fucks. I, I'm going to, no. day, night, I don't care, afternoon. But I, it is, it is random. 
Yeah. So it's like, are you on a schedule? Is this in between hauntings? Am I like the third person of the day? How does? Well, you know what I'm thinking is it happened at the end of her day. It was like four or five p.m. Hey, that. Oh, okay. So if it's visiting day two, yeah. Okay. It's on the clock. Okay. (laughs) Before Christine can see the creature, she locks herself in the bedroom. She takes out her phone to try to call Clay, but we see his phone vibrating in the charging dock of his office while he works on his computer with his back to it. With the thudding footsteps getting louder and closer and her ringing call going unanswered, Christine stares at the door with fear. The footsteps finally stop when we see the shadow of two hooved feet plant themselves firmly on the other side of the door. This is one of my favorite visuals of the entire film. Mm -hmm. Yes. Is the boom. Boom. It's yeah. like, fuck. It just, it's so good. <laughs> the phone in her hand makes a noise. And when she looks at it, the battery dwindles to nothing before her eyes and the screen goes black. Mrs. Ganish appears on it, though, and lunges for Christine with a shriek. All right. This was too much. <laughs> that little piece was too yeah. much. Yeah. Because it was funny to me that the phone was like, don't dream about me no more. <laughs> I'm getting the fuck out of here. And then this visual is the, the Her appearing on the phone was yeah. fucking, that was a step too far. The black and white. I don't like people playing on my phone, first of all. But <laughs> it was, and I will admit, this is another thing that scared me whenever I was. <laughs> <laughs> a teenager when I was 18 and I was using a phone a lot and I would be like I hope when the battery dies that there's not a Mrs. Ganish living in there <laughs> I didn't zoom Mrs. Ganish never let your phone die <laughs> the shadows of the hooves under the door stretch into arms with long fingered hands at the end of them the hands reach out for Christine, but she runs to the window. She tries to unlock it and escape, but a screeching demon face rushes up to it. The window shatters and Christine is thrown onto the floor. Just as quickly, she is yanked into the air by her foot. She screams as she sways, suspended upside down, items from the room whirling and whipping in the air around her. She is suddenly thrown into a dresser, cracking the wood of it with her impact. When she looks around the room, everything is in disarray, but the sounds of screaming, shrieking, and wind fall silent. Christine looks silently around the wrecked room before going downstairs. So there was no stunt person for this. God damn. Yeah, they rigged her up on wires and she did all of this. Woo. <laughs> Just a trip. Yeah. <laughs> we see her shaking hand pull a knife from the knife block in the kitchen. And as she steps back into the dining room, she calls out sweetly, Here, kitty, kitty. We were talking off mic this morning because I had it on, or this afternoon, because I had it on when, when T came over. And this is like played for laughs. Yeah, and I feel like it like really lessens how fucking terrible what is happening right now yeah. is. Yeah, I because mean, it's like she she saw this and was like, no, fuck that. You want to sacrifice? Here's the sacrifice. Yeah. But it's like, dude, this is like very, very heavy and terrible what is happening. And it's kind of like you don't feel the full impact of it. And I think maybe that's why it is not impossible to still sympathize with her after this, because the gravity of this yeah. moment is not fully conveyed knee-jerk reaction yeah is go to hell yeah next episode i'm ready to give my score (laughs) (laughs) but i i I understand what you're saying and especially i mean it kind of speaks to the desperation of it is the end of day two Yeah. yeah and we know what happens at day three yeah 
She continues to call out for the kitten and finally finds him lying adorably in a laundry basket. Her shadow falls on him, and from the outside of the house, we hear the kitten screech. I think in the unrated one, it's like you see what she does. I heard what? about that, yeah. and that's why I've never watched the unrated <laughs> one. Yeah. I, I'm like, it's... There's no need. No. no. I will say, honestly, since you're bringing up ratings, I'm honestly very surprised that this film is rated PG-13. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I agree. That there is so much in this film, and there are, I did, as I was scrolling, I did see a couple of fuck words in the screenplay yeah. that aren't in the film. Okay. And that obviously would have led to an R, which is wild because everything else we see... And here, and yeah, yeah, I've seen films get an R rating for like frightening images or whatever. Yeah, yeah, like this is a lot. And I was reading a lot of stuff, and a lot of people think that that's why that it would have done better at the box office if it was R. Was an R? Yeah, I can understand that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially with the reputation of Sam Raimi. Yeah. Oh yeah. But we immediately cut to Christine burying the kitten in the yard, and she's startled when she hears Clay call her name. She ditches the rest of her cleanup job and tries to walk nonchalantly back toward the house. Concerned, Clay asks what's going on. She wasn't answering his calls, and when he called the bank, they told him she left early. I was like, oh, that was today. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, been a busy day. Yeah. He said you shot blood everywhere? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? Are what? you okay? <laughs> <laughs> he asks her suddenly, is that blood? Christine looks behind her where she buried the poor cat and is like, no, why would there be blood? But Clay is referring to the sleeve of her sweater where there clearly is a blood stain. Christine dismisses this as tomato juice because she was cutting a tomato in the kitchen. Oh, come like, on. You're, you're yeah. lying. <laughs> Unless it was that big ass tomato from The Simpsons. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think that's accurate. No. <laughs> <laughs> and why did you look back there when I asked if that's... But like, yeah. well, you're acting so fucking weird. And Clay's like, all right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> After a measured moment, Clay proposes that maybe they do the dinner another time. Christina's had a rough couple of days. But Christine insists that she wants to go. Clay asks if she's sure she's feeling all right. And she admits that she hasn't been, but she thinks that everything is going to be okay now. She smiles brightly and tells him that she really does. Back in the house, Christine comes downstairs in a bright, sunny yellow dress. She asks Clay what he thinks. And when he tells her she looks beautiful, her smile is just as bright and sunny as her outfit. The yellow dress. Mm-hmm. This reminds me a lot of a conversation that we had over dinner with great friend of the show over at Original Cinematic. Yes. Bill Rush. Yes. Mm -hmm. I will not give away color theory, mm -hmm. right. but it is very interesting. Here. Yes. Yeah. When they ring the doorbell at Clay's parents' mansion, Christine looks nervous. He assures her that they're going to love her as he plants a kiss on her cheek. The door finally opens to reveal Clay's parents, Trudy and Leonard Dalton, played by Molly Cheek and Chelsea Ross. I know that Chelsea Ross has been in a lot of things, mm -hmm. but I immediately recognized him as Conrad yes, Hilton from Mad Men. on Mad Men. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, your sister was telling me. And I was mad all over again. <laughs> <laughs> Trudy greets her son warmly, but when he introduces Christine, she turns cold and gives her a contemptuous hello. She looks her up and down as Christine tells her that it's very nice to meet her. Finally, Leonard invites them inside. 
Clay shakes his father's hand when he introduces Christine. Leonard is nicer than his wife was. Yeah, we'll yeah. give him that. Yeah, very much. Well, we didn't hear him on a phone call earlier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Christine compliments their home as the housekeeper quietly whisks their coats away to another room. Leonard and Clay leave to get drinks for everyone, leaving Christine alone with Trudy. That would piss me off. Yeah. Already. When Trudy's eyes linger on the cake Christine is holding, she tells the older woman that she hopes she doesn't mind that she brought it. After finding out that it's homemade, Trudy asks what kind of cake you would call this. Christine tells her, maybe off the top of her head, because it kind of seemed like she was lying. Yeah. <laughs> but she's, she's been doing a lot of lying yeah, lately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she says that it's a harvest cake. Trudy asks if that's something you'd make on a farm, and Christine says no. I don't know why the farm is such an issue Yeah, for either of them, because Trudy really keeps bringing it back. Oh, do you make that on the farm? It's like, bitch, I don't like, but e- even we need if, farms. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what the fuck no, are you talking the about? Cool. They're important. Yeah. And even that, she lives in the city now and she's working yes. in a bank. It doesn't even. Did yeah. you, did yeah. you rent a farm to make this cake? Yeah, like, I don't, what, what are you talking about? But she says no, and after a moment, she amends her answer to not anymore. They used to when they had a gaggle of geese. During harvest time, goose eggs make a denser yolk, which makes for a richer cake. She smiles at Trudy, but Trudy fights a look of disgust, thanks Christine, and takes the cake into the kitchen. I'm surprised you took it into the kitchen because the look in her eyes was, well, I'll just put this in the trash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just contempt. It's rude. Leonard and Clay return, and Clay apologizes for interrupting the bonding sesh. Leonard invites them to go into the dining room, but on the way, they pass their cat, Hecuba, who loudly and angrily hisses at Christine. He's like, I know what you did to my cousin, bitch. Yeah. Like, I know. <laughs> my cousin. I don't know. <laughs> Leonard says that he never understood the animal because he hates cats, but Trudy comments on how strange it is. Hecuba is usually so sweet. Christine assures them that it's okay. She had a cat. She knows how it goes. Clay laughs at this. She has a cat, not had a cat, unless something happened to him. After a very long moment, Christine asks how she should know if something happened to the cat. You know how cats are. They come and they go. Uh, What? And the way she looks around is only a way that a cat murderer would. (laughs) Did you kill that cat? Yeah, you clearly killed that cat. (laughs) Clay laughs awkwardly and is like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> what the fuck? At dinner, the housekeeper and the chef move around everyone, serving and cleaning as Leonard asks Clay about his coin collection. Clay takes this opportunity to brag on Christine and the quarter that she found him. Trudy takes this opportunity to make light of Christine's job, commenting on how tedious and repetitive all that counting must be. Christine gently corrects her that she's not a teller. Clay reminds Trudy that he already told her Christine is a loan officer. He outlines her job description and says that she's up for a big promotion. Christine says that if she can close the account she's working on, it would help a lot. Leonard comments that it must be a very important account, and Christine says that it is. It's the biggest that her branch has ever handled. He asks how it came to her, and she explains. She was reading the Wall Street Journal and read about a medical supply company that wanted to expand but didn't have the liquidity. So she met with their CFO and set up a plan with them. 
Leonard looks proud. He tells Christine that she sounds like she's got a lot going for her. But Trudy ruins the moment by saying, your mother must be so proud. You don't know. No. People's situations. But Christine just smiles and nods, telling Trudy, I suppose. In the resulting silence, Christine expounds that she doesn't see much of her mother. Trudy pounces on this, immediately asking why. Clay tries to stop her, telling her that that's pretty personal. But Trudy talks over him, saying sternly that she's speaking to Christine. She turns toward her and Christine says that ever since her father died, her mother doesn't talk much. She just stays on the farm and keeps to herself because she trails off and Trudy persists. Because... I swear. Yeah. It's fucking insufferable. Is <laughs> a clearly plea. There is something yeah, there. You don't need to keep going with that. And all the feelings I had very, being very upset with Christine. Yeah. This wins her some points back. Yeah. yeah. Just this contrast between her and Trudy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Clay answers for her because her husband died. But Christine finally finishes her sentence because my mother's an alcoholic. Clay hangs his head and Trudy stammers out an apology. She tells Christine that it's nothing to be ashamed of and she's impressed by her honesty. She continues that her father had a drinking problem, but she was always too ashamed to admit it. She commends Christine's backbone. She's not like the last girl Clay brought here. After Clay's parents search for her name, Trudy tells Christine that that Alicia was dreadful, ill-mannered, no ambition. They chalk it up to them having met on the internet. All right, Trudy. <laughs> All right. Don't, but let's, let's keep like, going. I'm going to fight this lady. Yeah, I hate this lady. <laughs> you can meet the love of your life on the internet. <laughs> like, let's be very clear. Let's be very clear about this. <laughs> Fucking Trudy. <dude. laughs> Can't believe this shit. <laughs> but the mood is much lighter as they make fun of Clay and as plates with Christine's cake on them are set in front of everyone, Trudy seems excited to try it now. Clay tells them that they're going to like it and they only won't if they hate delicious things. Mm. This is like said so in the background, but I thought it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it reminded me of. It almost might have. You remember those like uh, it, it's it's a very Paul Rudd line, isn't it? Yeah, okay. it is. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. Because I'm like, this is like one of those Judd Apatow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but something has gotten Christine's attention. She hears a strange humming sound coming from the kitchen door. Clearly starting to get upset, she asks Clay if he heard anything. He didn't, but he asks if she's okay. She just looks around nervously as Trudy and Leonard start to eat the cake and comment on how much they like it. Christine picks up her fork and brings it down to the cake. But before she can take a piece, the center of it begins to move on its own. She moves pieces of cake and nuts away to unveil what's trying to get out. And suddenly, a wide, milky white eye opens in the center of the slice of cake. (laughs) It's like the cake doesn't normally act like this. (laughs) (laughs) Is this what those geese yolks do? Yeah. This is very much giving it miniseries to me. Oh yeah, okay. yeah. That uh, video that I watched, they compared it to the eye popping up on Ash in yeah, Army of Darkness. Shoulder. Okay, yeah. yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah, <laughs> that and that's exactly what I thought. Yeah. yeah, I was like, man, but it looks that sucks because it looks gross. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but. 
That's not <laughs> not now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not yeah. now. We just got cake. Please. And no. You were you were fucking with me like two hours ago, Lamia. Yeah. Like, yeah. Can you give me a dinner? Right. Was, you let me sleep the night? Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say this speaks more to your being like, well, where does it go? Because it's like waiting for the moment. It's like, oh, you're winning them over. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. We hear the creaking of the goat gate it from home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's like, ah, it's just so bad. Yeah. And there is a level of like cringe to this yes. scene too. Yeah. Yes. Where you're like, oh my god. This whole scene is really effective and I think that cringe is the perfect word. Yeah. Because and there are these moments where Clay is looking at her like, what the fuck? But he's like trying <laughs> to be cool. Yeah. Because they're, you know. Well, what do you do? Your partner's clearly yeah. panicking quietly and you can notice. But yeah. you're trying to keep up this like everything's fine, everything's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it, the, the, those moments are just played very well. And I think that they because in a lot of movies it feels like people's partners like don't know them <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's like they can act suspicious and weird and like literally haunted and their mm -hmm. partner's just like you know da, 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 everything's yeah. fine but the fact that he's like okay something is fucking horribly wrong what is going on but i can't make a scene at the table you know and this is that slow transition towards that because he was kind of like that at the beginning yeah, yeah. and so he's kind of becoming more and more aware yeah, yeah. that's why i was like are you okay yeah you know but Christine gasps and jumps back in her seat, staring back at the eye. She swiftly brings her fork down onto it, and the eye screeches as red blood oozes over the cake and the rest of the plate. Christine laughs nervously as Leonard compliments her on the cake again, and Trudy and Clay continue to talk. Clay is answering his mother, but he is shooting nervous glances toward Christine. Christine tries to take her fork back, but it is sucked into the cake and she grasps onto nothing but air. When she looks at the cake again, it is completely normal. No eye, no blood, not even a crumb out of place. An overwhelmingly high-pitched screeching whine echoes, forcing her to cover her ears, but no one else seems to notice it. She looks closely at Trudy and Leonard's mouths, moving unnaturally fast, and she's brought back when the screeching stops, and Trudy turns to her, asking, Would you, Christine? <laughs> Christine has not heard a word that was said before this question, <laughs> but she takes a shot. She's like, No, of course not. But Clay's like, But we did. Oh. Clay, <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> He says that they met at a bar and asks Christine what she's talking about. Christine laughs this off and Trudy jokes that they need to get their story straight. Christine picks up her spoon and takes a bite of the cake, but quickly begins to choke. She takes a drink of water, but the coughing doesn't stop. Finally, she finishes the fly buzzing out of her mouth as she lets out one last cough. Trudy is like, oh, my God. Leonard looks at the cake on his fork before setting it down, and Trudy looks down at the fly-shaped raisins in the cake and spits her mouthful of cake into a napkin. That's ridiculous. Yeah. That fly did not live through the baking process. No, the fact that no. it's still floating yeah. around, maybe you have flies. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you, put that shit on me. Yeah. You really think she's going to fucking bring you a fly cake? <laughs> yeah. Like, you think that for a second? What do you think of people? No That's shit. maybe how yeah. they do things on farms. <laughs> they put flies in their cakes? <laughs> 
But the fly is in everyone's business, buzzing in Trudy and Leonard's faces. And when Clay tries to reason that there must be a a window open somewhere, (laughs) the screeching starts again. He looks at Christine with worry as she covers both of her ears. When a loud banging starts at the kitchen door, Christine has finally reached her breaking point. She stands and throws her glass. As it shatters on the kitchen door, she screams, I hear you. She begs for it to just leave her the hell alone. Clay runs to her and tries to calm her down, assuring her that there is no one there. Trudy looks at Christine with horror and Christine whispers that she thinks she better go. Trudy agrees with this and Christine rushes off. Clay starts to go after her, but his mother stops him. She tells him not to go after Christine because she's sick. Clay tells her sadly that she needs his help, but Trudy tells him, let her go. And then we get the most abrupt cut in the business. Yeah. I was like, is there more (laughs) to this scene? What was that? Nope. No, that's all. Let her go. Come on. Yeah, that was it. Let this scene go too. <laughs> we cut to Christine rushing into the back room of Ram's shop. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> she picks up a small table and throws it. Rom runs in after her and Christine wheels on him. She tells him that she did what he said and killed the little kitty, but he is so full of shit. Rom fires back that these are powerful forces. There are no guarantees. Defeated, Christine sits down. Rom sits in front of her and says that they'll need to speak directly to the spirit. They have to convince it not to take her soul and they need to do it soon. He says that he knows someone that can help. Christine asks if she's really supposed to trust him. But Rom points out that tomorrow is day three. After that, the Lamia is coming for that ass. (laughs) He says that the woman who is going to help them is going to have to put herself at great risk, and she is not going to do that for free. Christine asks what he needs. The answer is (laughs) $10,000 cash by tomorrow. Can we just meet Lamia tonight? <laughs> just yeah, take me out right um, now. I Good already Lord. I tied up all my loose ends. <laughs> Let's just go. The next day, Christine applies lipstick before stepping into Mr. Jax's office. She admits that this is awkward for her and she knows that it's not official yet, but she asks if she could get an advance for the new position. I'm sorry, the fact that she thinks she still has it yeah. <laughs> is really funny to me. The last time she was at work was the nosebleed. Yeah. Yeah. And she shows up the next day. I need (laughs) $10,000. That is pretty wild, man. (laughs) But even a promotion. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Jax is like the assistant manager's position. Christine says yes and presses on. She has a sick family member. They're not going to die, but actually they might die. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Mr. Jack stops her. The McPherson deal has been canceled. He found out that they made a deal at First National, and he says he needs to call and figure out exactly what happened. But right now, this does not look good for her or for him. The promotion has been delayed. And he says, really, with everything that's happened, he's going to have to give the job to Stu. Christine's eyes have filled with tears, and they start to overflow as she nods her head. Mr. Jax invites her to take the rest of the day off in light of what's happened to her family member. But Christine just leaves the office without another word. And even the way he says that he's like, take a day off to sort out. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, man, 
That's what they care about you. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's who you fucking did all this for. Yeah. yeah. What Damn. is that? Yeah. Yeah. At home, Christine gathers up anything that could be worth something. Instruments, sporting equipment, tools. She goes to put a pair of ice skates into a trunk in the garage. But when she moves a hanging sheet out of the way, Mrs. Ganish is waiting there. Very quickly. Um, <laughs> before we get into all of this. <laughs> I just wanted to say just the entry into this. I thought it was a woodshed. It might okay. be. It and might be. that made me think of Evil mm-hmm. Dead. Just the way that it's shot with her entering the structure. Yeah. And I was just scouring for Evil Dead references. I didn't really find any. Right. <laughs> but I, I just wanted to call that out. <laughs> <laughs> but I did look for them. Yes, yeah. I did. Mrs. Gannish jumps out at her with a scream. She's able to grab Christine around the throat and slam her against the wall. When Christine's mouth is open in a scream, Mrs. Gannish punches her right in the mouth. Her hand and her arm up to the elbow disappear in Christine's mouth. So I look, this looks like <laughs> CG. Yeah. But in a behind the scenes featurette, it looked like there were more practical effects towards this than you would think. Really? It yeah. does not come through. No. no. It doesn't. I don't know if they tried to polish it and then it just kind of... Yeah. It was, and there's something in a minute that's really egregious. <laughs> <laughs> to the point where I'm like, I feel like we could have cut out this whole scene. Yeah. Like well, the whole thing. It felt like they were like, it's been too long. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she needs to get her ass yeah. beat and we need to do it now. <laughs> Well, there's other ways to do it. There yeah. are. Yeah. There are. Christine looks around desperately and finds a fucking pulley system somehow rigged to where there is an anvil hanging from a rope over Mrs. Ganish's head. I don't know why this is there. I, I don't like, I guess Wiley Coyote lived here before or something. Is this fucking Acme? Yeah. I, why is this there? I look, man. If it's like on the floor, maybe like buy some metal work, like tools and stuff. But mm-hmm. this is hanging from a thin rope. What purpose? <laughs> yeah. Unless you're trying to kill a roadrunner. Yes. <laughs> That's the only reason yeah. for this. Yeah. Thinking quickly, she brings the blade of the skate down on the rope and the anvil falls. When it crushes Mrs. Ganish's head, her eyes pop from their sockets and land on Christine's face, along with the gush of blood. The anvil hits the ground with a loud bang, and when Christine looks around, she is alone. All right. (laughs) It's the eyes. Yeah. I'm just thinking... How much better this was done. I think it was Evil Dead 2. Yeah. Right? Where you follow the eyeball and it's like practical completely. Yeah. They shot it backwards so that it, you know, was, I don't know, man. I'm just. I feel like with the team that he had. Yeah. There is no reason that it should have been like this. But again, I wonder, he talks about wanting to add shit and add shit. Was this added? And then it's like, this is the best we could do. with You know? Because it doesn't even look like it's part of the same environment. At all. Thank you. Because that's what I was going to say. This doesn't feel, this feels very misplaced in this movie. Yes. Because everything else has been fine and it's looked good. 
and then this we get this little thing i you know the the elbow and the the fisting of the mouth was you know what i mean Not right. it was it was a bit <laughs> like okay you know but i was like i can i can get that's fine i'll accept it <laughs> but you better be going yeah. somewhere this podcast <laughs> but well to what you're saying but the eyeballs when that and then mm-hmm. the blood hit her in the face and i was mm-hmm. like this does not it, it didn't look good no it just doesn't work yeah but we cut to christine at a pawn shop and i gotta say i know this bitch is running out of time mm-hmm. but her ability to compartmentalize <laughs> yeah <laughs> what she's been through that be didn't like, happen i no. gotta go <laughs> i gotta go sell my shit <laughs> ten thousand dollars yeah. <laughs> period she's focused <laughs> She asked the pawnbroker, played by Ali Dean, how much she's going to get for the mountain of things that she's brought. When he tells her that he'll give her 3800 for everything, Christine is appalled that that includes the price of her jewelry. She pleads with him that everything is worth so much more than that. The pawnbroker has just been counting out the money all this time. And when she tells him sadly that this is all she has, he sets the money down in front of her, telling her that she can take it or leave it. Back at her house, as she eats ice cream and cries over the stacks of cash in front of her, we see that Christine has taken it. Clay comes home and looks over Christine, the ice cream, the money. He has to wipe a tear from his own eye before saying that he thought she was lactose intolerant. She tells him that she is, but she thought, screw it. He tells her quietly that he paid Ram Joss. Christine is in disbelief. She asks him why, because she thought he didn't believe in this. Clay admits that he doesn't know what he believes anymore, but he knows that she believes it and that it's important to her. He sees the pain that this is causing her, and he also remembered a promise he made to himself the night he fell in love with her. He promised himself to always look after her and take care of her, so he paid him. Christine asks if he really remembers the night he fell in love with her, and he says that he remembers the second. Christine laughs in relief for the first time in days and hugs Clay tightly. So is it the phone call that she makes to him to get him to come over right now where she tells him everything about Ram Joss and the $10,000 or when does that happen <laughs> to where he knows exactly what the fuck she needs to do it for her off screen? <laughs> <laughs> no, that that's good because this is a like a good little touching it moment. It is. It's and very it's like, sweet. that's what you should do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But you're right. How did you know that? Exactly. She, she went on her own. Yeah. Yeah. Also, could you have told me you were going to pay for it before I sold all my shit? Oh, <laughs> Dude, oh, when oh. did you know about this? Was it before I bought the ice cream? Right. And I hope that there's that's a $4. ticket. Because <laughs> you can take that money back. <laughs> Give me my shit back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Clay drives Christine to a house. He asks if she's sure she doesn't want him to come, but Christine reminds him that Rom told her it's best to come alone. He actually told the same thing to Clay when Clay paid him. Christine gets out of the car, and when she walks onto the property, we see that it is the same house we saw at the beginning. Christine stares up at it for a long moment before heading inside. I will say just the ability of this film to throw so much crazy shit at us. Mm -hmm. I forgot about the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Completely. (laughs) Yeah. I think that it's this moment. I'm not 100%. um, But I saw in an interview with Sam Raimi that he talked about really, really wanting 
to get a crane and do a wide shot of her looking up at the sky while the sun is setting and her having this like contemplative moment that we see here of like, I'm running out of time. Mm. And then kind of zooming in on her and then getting a wide shot again as the sun is going down and then watching her run off screen. And he said that the assistant director was like, we don't have money for a crane and we have 20 minutes of the sun. That's not, that's not going to happen. So he said he used a gel to make it look like the color of the sky. And he was like, then the audience does the rest of it. Wow. He was like, so it really reminds you that you don't need to do all that. You know, just using that gel to give you the color of the sky, you fill in the blanks yourself. That's really cool when we learn shit like that, that they do little tricks and stuff like that. Yeah, but then he was like, but next time I do want that crane. (laughs) (laughs) Once inside, Rom introduces Christine to Sean Sandina, played by Adriana Barraza. Sean greets her, shaking her hand kindly before Christine sits in front of her. Rom tells Christine that not only does Sean have experience, but she's been personally touched by the Lamia. Sean elaborates that she first met it here in her home. With shame, she admits to Christine that she lost a little boy's soul to it, but she's waited all this time for a chance to redeem herself and finally destroy it. So the only time you face the Lamia, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That I, that was my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> the person you were supposed to have yeah. fucking died. What do you mean lost? Like how? Yeah. Like, like what? What? What were the circumstances? You ran happened? away. Yeah. Or? Is there a detail? Like, can you tell me what happened before I choose you as my? No. Yeah. Like I gave you a lot of money. Uh, yeah, dude. that was literally thousand dollars. Like you're being yeah. really vague about. <laughs> Milos, played by Kevin Foster, comes in with glasses for everyone, but Sean continues. She tells Christine that her chance is finally here, but she's going to need her help. She asks if she can be strong, and Christine promises to try. So the rumors that I read or remembered reading in 2009 mm-hmm. also pointed to the possibility that Bruce Campbell could have played... Shut no, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Milos. There's no ah. way... And Stop with it. what happens next, how could you possibly not see Bruce Campbell? Yeah, yeah no, there's no way. It, it would have been amazing, but it, it would also have. would have been distracting. It, it would have stole the scene. Yes. Yeah, that was just- <laughs> Sean leads them to a beautiful, sprawling reading room. She explains that her late husband, Sandor, was also a medium, and he chose for them to live here because he sensed that there were forces at work. So Sandor was um, the name of Sam and Ivan's older brother who passed away. Oh. So it was. this is a little, like, tribute to him. That's sweet. Yeah. I did want to talk for a moment just about the production design. Yeah. This place is incredible. Yes. This set, they, I remember seeing on that featurette, used Turkish palaces that they had researched as inspiration. Damn. So you see these columns, you see, it's just so amazing. The attention to detail on certain aspects of things that we don't even see close up. Yeah. They've stained books to make it appear old. Mm -hmm. I love that. uh, Whatever the thing is with the claws or whatever. 
They used a <laughs> they used some kind of a special comb, I'd say, yeah. <laughs> to weather all of the fabric in the room. Yeah, yeah. They wanted to make it appear as though she really did close off this room for forty years. Yeah, and then came back today. I love that. And it and they also don't have a ceiling in this room, and it was added later digitally. Really? Yes, because they needed all the lights and everything, and for another yeah. reason. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say, I yeah. think I know why they did it. <laughs> but Sean tries to explain the significance, but slips into Spanish. Rom translates that a certain merging of forces allows a doorway to be open so that they can pass through, but the others can also pass through into our world. They take a seat at the table in the center of the room and Rom offers Christine a small smile. She smiles back at him, but jumps out of her chair when a goat screams. We see the goat being dragged out of the room by Milos and fighting tooth and nail. Christine demands to know what's going on, but Sean reassures her that everything they're doing here is for Christine's own good. She implores her to sit back down and she does. They chain the goat to the table between Christine and Sean, and Rom lights a candle. One look from Sean prompts Milos to dim the lights. Sean unveils a dagger and holds it ritualistically, chanting in Spanish and kissing the blade before placing it back on the table. The goat I saw in the featurette was so sweet and adorable it kept ruining scenes. Oh. <laughs> it like, would be scary. Yeah. <laughs> because it kept happening and it would like lick Allison Loman's arm <laughs> or like rest its head on the table when they're trying to have a dialogue yeah. scene. What they did is they created a very realistic animatronic puppet of the goat. Wow. And so during scenes of dialogue, you'll see the goat there, but more often than not, it's a puppet. Damn. That's wild. I would have never guessed. No. no. It's like, stop being so damn cute. Yeah. <laughs> Sean tells Christine that once the spirit has entered her, she needs to put her hand on the goat. This will force the spirit of the Lamia into the goat. And she instructs Milos, handing over the dagger, to strike the animal then. Milos seems hesitant, but when Sean insists, he quiets down. They all hold hands, and Sean advises that everyone needs to be receptive. She begins to sing softly, but still confused, Christine leans to Rom and whispers, asking what she's supposed to do. Rom tells her that she has to invite the dead to mingle with her spirit. She has to let them in. Like that movie we just covered. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I let you in. You know? mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Yes. <laughs> Christine admits that she's scared and Rom is like, yes. <laughs> he tells her to repeat the words, I welcome the dead into my soul. Christine repeats flatly and Rom chastises her, telling her that she needs to believe it. Christine repeats it again and Rom accepts this. The words become a chant repeated by Rom and Christine over Sean's vocals. She's fucking tearing it up. <laughs> yeah. We see all of them, Christine, Rom, Sean, and Milos in a circle fulfilling their duties. Milos begins to look concerned, and Sean announces something in Spanish before starting to sing again. Suddenly, though, she stops with a gasp, holding both hands up. She whispers fearfully that something is in there with them, and Rom agrees. The chandelier above them begins to shake violently, and when it stops, a teacup across the room rattles before throwing itself against a column and shattering onto the floor. 
A horrible laughing echoes as the spirit moves across the room unseen, shaking the curtains covering the walls. It comes to a stop by a fountain in front of ornate windows. This is when Sean realizes that it's not the Lamia. It's a spirit from an unsettled soul. Rom tells Christine that unsettled souls linger around the door sometimes, but Sean adds cryptically that there are others here too. Christine turns her head in time to see a 19th century ghost played by Jennifer Blackwell come screaming out of the darkness. We see that there are multiple old timey ghosts standing around the table. But when Sean stands and waves her hand, casting them away, they dissipate and the woman is sent screaming back into the darkness where she came from, disappearing into smoke. I love this so much. Yeah. You see each person has like all the, like one guy, it looks like he has a trombone. Yeah. yeah. Like everybody's got a story that we don't know. Mm. Mm. So interesting. I read that one of the ghosts is uh, Sam Raimi in a cameo. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Which is hilarious. <laughs> it's very insidious. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, I was like, man, I love this whole, this I did enjoy a lot. The whole lore of it, the whole setup, her telling them what's going on. They're getting there, her chance. Rom telling her you need to be open-minded like really mm -hmm. and once she is receptive then bam then you see all these ghosts there yeah it is fucking really cool it is one thing i was thinking as well was just is clay at home watching mad men or what's like <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile <laughs> right. i wonder when she's gonna call yeah <laughs> she'll be fine yeah <laughs> they know what they're doing <laughs> Sean sits back down at the table and the unearthly moans of the ghosts fade out. In the new silence, Sean warns the others, she's coming. Christine looks around to see the room rattling around her. Furniture moves on its own. The door shakes. The very foundation of the house quakes, kicking dust into the air as the cacophonous noises mount. Christine covers her ears, but it's not only her that hears it this time. Everyone at the table reacts to the horrible breaking and crashing, but when Rom finally cries out, it all stops. Christine cautiously removes her hands from her ears and looks around the now silent and still room. But suddenly, something comes racing shakily up to the table, right at Sean. This camera movement reminded me of the evil force. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In, well, all of the evil. Yeah. <laughs> she is physically impacted by this. And when she takes in a long, rasping, and desperate breath, her eyes are now white. Rom asks the identity of who has taken over her body. And Sean looks up at him with heavily dilated eyes and sharp teeth. She hisses at him, Lamia. Rom asks what it wants, and with a distorted and multiple-layered voice, the Lamia tells him that it wants Christine Brown's soul. They will feast upon it as she festers in her grave. Christine. Christine begs for her life, <sighs> telling the Lamia that it wasn't her. It was her manager, Jim Jacks. <laughs> First and last. Again, this is what I'm saying, dude. And yeah. opposition. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Surprised you didn't give the name of the bank. Yeah. <laughs> That's I laughed crazy. out loud. It is hard. It's like, dude, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> and again. We're supposed to feel sorry for you. Yeah. <laughs> because he gave her the decision to make. It's he your didn't call. make it. Yeah. That's that's so funny. 
But Ram yells at her to be quiet and turns to the Lamia, presuming that it can be dissuaded from taking such an insignificant woman's soul. He reasons that Christine is not worthy of the Lamia's greatness. Sean's hand is pressed down on the table, and when Christine tries to reach for it to put on the goat as she was told, the Lamia pulls the hand away as it sinks further into Sean's chair, cackling. Its many voices laugh in harmony before thrusting a hand out toward Rom, declaring, No! The Lamia inhabiting Sean's body turns at Christine. It uses Sean's tongue to lick around her mouth suggestively as the Lamia promises Christine that it has come for her. It tells her, you're mine. But Christine seizes her moment and grabs the hand on the table. She puts it on the goat's head and the goat is not pleased. (laughs) Its eyes change as the Lamia speaks from it. You tricked me, you black hearted whore, you bitch. (laughs) This is when it's like any because Sean being possessed is scary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it looks creepy. The goat yelling you black heart that's that's hilarious yeah like it really just it's like nah you know what i mean we couldn't get too scary <laughs> it's, it's not getting too scary and uh my friend amy and i would always go you bitch at each other because it's so it's <laughs> it's so ridiculous <laughs> Rom reminds Milos that his time has come and Milos rushes over, bringing the blade down toward the goat. But when the goat's like too fast and (laughs) steps out of the way, Milos cuts the rope, securing it to the table. This is when all hell breaks loose. The goat bites Milos's hand. And when Christine tries to comfort him, Milos has turned. He floats in the air, <laughs> clearly on wires. Yes. <laughs> you see his shirt and everything. <laughs> we love it. <laughs> it's great. It's so good. <laughs> but he advances on Christine, taunting her in another language. When Rom tries to banish him, Milos grabs him by the throat. He lets go continuing his dance in the air over the table. His jig kicks a candle over and a fire promptly starts in front of Sean, seemingly unconscious in her chair. He's having the fucking time of his life. Oh, yeah. he is. Rom tries to banish the Lamia again as one of the ones that called it here, but a chair flies through the air and breaks on Rom's back. Rom hits the ground hard and Christine only attracts Milos's attention when she tries to run to him. She tries to flee the room instead, but a heavy dresser slides in front of the door. Milos advances on Christine, telling her tauntingly in a distorted voice that it didn't want her cat. It calls her a dirty pork queen before starting to gag. He throws up the poor little kitten, which lands wetly on the ground, the splashback hitting Christine in the face. All right. That like she, has, she hasn't that, been through enough. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Rom pulls Sean to her feet, telling her that she has to banish the spirit. Sean begins to chant, and Milos is ripped away from Christine. He soars through the air, suspended over the fiery table as Sean continues to yell at him. A red and thick fog lets loose from Milos's mouth before he finally comes crashing down onto the table where the fire is immediately extinguished. That shot is amazing. Yeah. It is. Honestly, frankly, this entire sequence. It's so good. Yeah. It's just a good bit of fun. The music, the camera, the editing, the just this is this is popcorn time, man. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is a great time at the movies. (laughs) It is. Yeah. This is fun. And his little dance 
is very reminiscent <laughs> of the little goody two shoes dance he does in Army of Darkness. Uh, it should have been Bruce Campbell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Seeing him do that, y- you're just gonna only think of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Milos is completely fine and relieved to be okay. Christine runs up to Sean and hugs her, telling her that she did it. But when Sean tries to reply, she grips her chest. Christine helps lower her to the ground, and Rom yells at Milos to call the police. Rom tries to do CPR, but they quickly realize that Sean is not breathing, and Rom gives up. How'd he do? I give him about a five out of ten. (laughs) (laughs) Hand placement was not great, and he did like 18 compressions in one breath, so I guess we're cutting everything in half and less or more. I don't know what the fuck's going on. I was going to say, he didn't really try, did he? Uh, No. Kind of? No, and then he's like, that's all? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's all she wrote, folks. No. 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 (laughs) He closes Sean's eyes, and it fades to black on Christine's upset face. I was surprised at that. Yeah. And it's just like, well, good night. He's like, I did did everything I could. Yeah. That night, we see Sean's body being loaded into the back of an ambulance as Christine and Rom stand talking outside of her house. (laughs) Christine's energy is very last scene of the film. Yeah. Yeah. Can't believe that lady died for me, dude. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like you, you need to learn. Yeah. <laughs> Christine muses that it's so sad that Sean waited forty years to get another chance at beating the Lamia, and she finally did on the last night of her. Life. Yeah. <laughs> I'll see you later, Rom. <laughs> right, that's great for me. Huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Suddenly I see yeah. <laughs> Start skipping away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Rom bursts her bubble, though. He tells her that Alamia can't be banished by a medium. He tells her that tonight was a lesson. Christine doesn't believe this, though, because she saw what happened. But Rom explains that what she saw was the Lamia being driven from the seance. It will be back because the goat was never slaughtered. <laughs> He tells her again that when tonight is over, the Lamia is coming for the owner of the cursed object. In Christine's silence, Rom proposes, unless, of course, you are no longer the owner. Christine presents the button when he asks if she still has it. Ron has her place it in an envelope and he seals it before handing it back to her. Why he's holding an envelope? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> That's true. And whenever she brought it into the shop, he's like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> but now he's like, hold, hand it. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> Give it to me. I brought an envelope for it. <laughs> if she gives the button away as a gift, she is no longer the owner of it. Christine doesn't understand why Rom didn't tell her this before, but Rom makes very clear what will happen. Whoever she gives that button to will have their soul torn away by the Lamia and they will burn in hell for all of eternity. Christine understands and I would have sent them there. With a nod, Rom adds, and I will have been your accomplice. He tells her that she has until morning to make her decision. Christine wrestles with her decision as we transition to her riding home with Clay. 
I know we talked off mic, but this is one thing that we appreciate in films. Yeah. When we have a question and we're like, why didn't you tell her this before? Yeah. yeah. And then the next line is, why didn't you tell me this before? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like, like, okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Good. Because it is. It's like, that's information I could have used yesterday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> She sits in the passenger seat, looking down at the envelope peeking out of her purse. Clay's like, Don Draper was acting up tonight. <laughs> <laughs> no, he asks her if it's over. <laughs> so what's new with you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, the thing. Oh, no, yeah. shit. That was tonight? Oh, that $10,000. <laughs> but he asks her if it's over, and she assures him that it is. Although she was just told that it was not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Clay gives a small relieved smile, but suddenly Christine spots Mrs. Ganish in the road, reaching toward them. She screams at Clay to stop, and he slams on the brakes, causing Christine's purse to fall to the floor and a bunch of papers to fall on top of it. It wasn't Mrs. Ganish in the road, though. It was Old Man in Headlights, played by Tom Carey. <laughs> He brandishes his cane at them, telling Christine that she's going to burn in hell. He is going around the car and he's like, you bitch, you're going to burn in hell. Yeah. Your time's coming. And Clay's like, oh, yeah, wow. Dude, I know. wow, crazy. <laughs> she's not even driving. You weren't even the one. Dri- <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, why, why isn't he reacting more to this? <laughs> but Clay gives a small frightened laugh. <laughs> And as he starts to drive again, he asks if she's okay and she doesn't answer. They pull up to the house and Clay asks if she's sure she's still okay with the Santa Barbara trip. When she says that she is, he asks what time he's supposed to pick her up in the morning. She tells him, though, that it would be better if she just met him at the station. There's something she has to do on the way. Clay offers to do it for her, but Christine insists. She picks up her purse and goes into a panic when the envelope is gone. She is frantic, telling Clay that she needs it when he tries to calm her down. She rifles through the papers on the floor, and when she finds it, she is immediately relieved and relaxes. She chuckles a little, telling Clay, a little embarrassed, that she thought she'd lost it. She gives Clay a kiss before getting out of the car, and he reminds her not to be late to meet him at the station at 730 She smiles and waves at Clay as he drives off. But as soon as he's out of sight, the smile drops and she heads inside. Crucial moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we'll get to that. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We cut to Christine at a diner watching a family played by Jay Gordon, Jennifer Zong, Henry Ramey and Lauren Ramey. Ramey. (laughs) Yes. She looks over at a young couple played by Nick Vlasopoulos and Chloe Dykstra. She taps the envelope on the table as she watches the couple embrace, but she's interrupted by the waitress, played by Leah Johnson, when she comes over to fill her coffee. She asks Christine if she's sure she's not going to eat, and Christine answers that she's not, and annoyed, the waitress asks if she's really just going to sit there and drink coffee all night. Christine snaps at her, telling her that she might, what's it to her? The waitress informs her that coffee drinkers don't tip, but Christine just advises her to keep the coffee coming or she's going to give her a tip that she won't forget. All right. Yeah. That's wild. You're crowding her section and you're going to send her to hell for it? Yeah. <laughs> like that's, again, this is who you are. And you called her honey? That's yeah. condescending yeah. as shit, dude. <laughs> but she's pointing at the waitress with the envelope. Yeah. yeah and that's... she finally backs off. But I'm like... 
the server does not know what that means. So, like, what does she think? She's, like, threatening to stab her or something? Like, <laughs> like, I don't know. Fight her outside? Yeah. <laughs> I don't well, know. Waffle House. Yeah. 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 Oh, wait. Yeah. You said tip. So, like, a tip of a knife. Yeah. God yeah. Damn. yeah. I'm like, what Holy do you think shit. that means? It's like a decaf. Or- <laughs> <laughs> what do you need? Christine looks over at an old man, played by John Paxton, sitting alone at a table with an oxygen tank. She stands up and starts to walk toward him, the button in the envelope outlined against the white paper. Just before she gets to his table, though, the man's wife, played by Irene Rosine, comes over to bring him his plate. He brightens at the sight of her, and the two smile as he tells his wife that she's the sweetest person in the world. See, so again... This isn't about like, oh, this button will kill someone. Yeah. You're forgetting what this means. Yeah. 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 You're not just going to die. Yeah. No. More than that. Your soul's going to be torn from you and you're going to burn in hell <laughs> for eternity. That's all right. Why- all right. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. Are you selling the movie to us? Yeah. No. <laughs> um, that's, that's why for me, again, she just becomes kind of irredeemable. I mean, she's like, look, I got to get rid of this yeah. shit. <laughs> I mean, it's, I get it. Couldn't be me. I get it. But God damn. What if like we just pass it back and forth? What? For three days. No, because you're still torn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, you're, I feel like you're thinking it's like a heads I win, tails you lose situation. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was. And then on the third day, you just keep it. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, dude. <laughs> We cut to Christine on a payphone. She tells Stu to get there in 10 minutes or she's going to tell Mr. Jack something he doesn't want her to. Stu is incredulous, but Christine says that she'll tell that Stu stole the McPherson file from her desk and gave it to First National. She says now he's got nine minutes before slamming down the phone. At the counter, she finishes off a hot fudge sundae and asks the waitress for another. The waitress is like, seriously? And Christine is giving, I'll tell you what I had enough. <laughs> Wait, so I drink coffee only, you're mad. <laughs> yeah, that's... that's <laughs> I've had four Sundays, you're mad. No. <laughs> you wanted me to order something else? Yeah. <laughs> what do you want from me? I'm just, I just want to impress you. <laughs> <laughs> but Stu rushes in and sits down next to her, immediately begging her not to tell on him. He can't let his dad find out. He asks to just tell him what she wants. Christine says that she just wanted to give him a little gift. She thrusts the envelope at him, but Stu is confused. When he tries to understand what's happening, she tells him he doesn't need to understand and to shut up. She yells at him that when she gives him this, it becomes his property and he is the owner. Confusion and fear etched into his face, Stu fights back tears as he agrees. Christine loses her steam and turns away from him, telling him to forget it. When he presses it further, she tells him to just leave. He thanks her so much before leaving, but he quickly comes back to make sure that she's not going to tell his dad. I'm like, who is her dad? Uh, we yeah. don't. We never find out. I feel like, you know, it would have made more sense if he's like, yeah, he's new, but his dad like worked uh, here or whatever. Because okay. I'm just like, who the fuck? <laughs> well, who's your dad? Yeah. Why would I tell him? Well, it's just a throwaway line. It's, yeah, it it's, is. <laughs> he's like, please don't tell my father. It's it's, 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 it's comedy. It's a joke. <laughs> Christine looks down at the envelope, wondering to herself who actually does deserve this. 
She picks up a newspaper on the counter and looks at Mrs. Ganish's obituary. Suddenly, she stands up and walks away, and we match cut to her pacing back and forth in Rom's shop. After giving Rom a moment to consult a book, she asks if it's possible. Rom reasons that there are blessings given to the dead. They give gifts to the departed to curry favor with the soul, but the soul never dies. Finally, Rom says yes. She can give a gift to someone who has already died. She will just need to make a formal gift of it. It did make me laugh because he's like in his robe. Yeah. And it's like, you've, you, I've done enough for you tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we cut to Christine in her car. She promises that she'll do better than making it a formal gift. She's going to shove it down her goddamn throat. She looks over at the shovel riding passenger before turning back toward the road and muttering, I'm going to get some. I was like, <laughs> Christine. <laughs> It, look, it's great to hear the line here. Yes. Yeah. Doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> Made a lot more sense with Ash and that dead yeah. eye. But, you know, <laughs> we love a reference. Yes. But I did laugh. Mrs. Ganish's handkerchief lands with a screaming face suddenly on the windshield. Christine turns on her wipers, and after a moment, the cloth is dislodged, but it gets sucked up into the front of the car. Christine looks around for a moment, sure that there is more to come, and the handkerchief comes flying out of the AC vent, covering her face. She tries to pull it off, and when she can't, she puts the car in park and gets out, trying to pry it away. When she finally does, she tosses it down to the street, but it flies back up and goes straight into her mouth, because of <laughs> course it does. Yeah. Before it can go down her throat, Christine catches it and pulls it out agonizingly, Finally, she rips the thin cloth to shreds. This is when she notices she's parked right outside of the cemetery. Lightning flashes in the sky and thunder booms as Christine goes inside. Rain falls down on her as she digs up Mrs. Ganish's grave. She makes short work of this. Yeah. <laughs> she's already in there. That was fast. Yeah. yeah. The dramatic score mounts when Christine finally reaches the casket. She pulls the wood open, revealing Mrs. Ganish's dead face. Christine proclaims loudly, I'm giving this back to you. She tells Mrs. Ganish that she's going to take it as she tries to shove it into her stiff, curled fingers. She tries to pry her fingers open, but she only results in pulling Mrs. Ganish up to a sitting position. Her face comes right up to Christine, infested with maggots. Christine tries to push her back into her coffin, but as she loves to do, Mrs. Ganish has grasped on to Christine's hair. <laughs> when she's finally able to push her back down, she takes another handful of hair from her. Christine brings the shovel down, telling Mrs. Ganish that that's the last of her hair she's getting. <laughs> She uses the shovel to wrench the dead woman's mouth open and she holds the envelope high in the sky, proclaiming that she, Christine Brown, is making this button a formal gift to her, Sylvia Ganish. She shoves the envelope into Mrs. Ganish's mouth and yells, her thick southern accent creeping back in, choke on it, bitch. <laughs> I was like, oop. Christine kicks Mrs. Ganish's jaw closed and watches over her triumphantly as the heavy rain fills the grave with water and mud. But when Christine tries to climb out, she only falls back in, unable to get a grip on the soaked dirt. 
When she falls back in the grave, Mrs. Ganish floats back up, the envelope sticking out of her mouth. Christine screams and tries to fight her way out, but the huge ornate cross over Mrs. Ganish's grave comes crashing down, hitting Christine in the head and knocking her out. She falls into the dirty water, but after a moment, she emerges, gasping for air. The grave is so full of water that Christine easily pulls her way out and she takes in air as the sun rises behind her. I've seen many people point out the way that she rises from the grave. Mm-hmm. Very reminiscent of the Evil Dead poster. Mm. Oh, okay. And once you see it, you're like, that's cool. Yeah. I wanted to talk about this sequence because just everything about it is amazing. Yeah. I love the way that it's shot. I love the angles, the sounds, the just everything. Yeah. It's really a bunch of movie magic because this was, they said, the last thing that they filmed. Okay. They brought everyone back together to do this one last thing. And you see them in this featurette and they build this set and it's like a steel tank at the bottom of it. And it's just completely fabricated. None of this is in a real location. (laughs) And so it's just all about angles and lighting and then everything being put together in the edit. Yeah. But they had said that they had tried to create their own kind of synthetic mud to use instead of mud. Yeah. But whatever they created made Allison Loman break out in hives. Oh, oh no. And so they eventually just settled on using spa grade mud. Yeah. So at it's least, mud. At least yeah. Spa grade. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's yeah. a little bit better. Yeah, it's than... like, let's give her a fucking break. We found this outside. Yeah. <laughs> but you do, it, it is cool because seeing her. Putting it, putting the button in her mouth and kicking it, and like you're like, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, for a second, you get that like, all right, I guess things are gonna be okay. Yeah, and then you forget she's in a fucking hole. Yeah, and then the water comes in, and it's like, yeah, you might have fucked yeah, up. Might, yeah, I think you <laughs> fucked up. And it honestly, you're the way it is because the thing that happened at Sean Sandina's house. Yeah. That feels like an ending to another kind of film. Yes. Yeah. And then what happens here, that feels like the ending to another kind of film. Yes. And then when she's about to drown, you're like, oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know? So it just keeps going in a very interesting way. Yeah. We match cut to Christine in the shower at home, the dark and damp replaced with bright and steamy. Her phone rings, but she doesn't answer it and it goes to voicemail. Mr. Jax's voice fills her house, telling her that he received... (laughs) Some troubling news about Stu. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, he stole her file and tried to broker his own deal at First National. He says that Stu must have thought that they wouldn't find out, and they wouldn't have. (laughs) But Stu came to his house this morning and tried to blame it all on Christine. (laughs) What the fuck? Dude. (laughs) You should have gave him the button. (laughs) Until the end. Like, Jesus. I thought it was going to be a story of him confessing. Yeah. I did. (laughs) Yeah. No. (laughs) I did, too. We wouldn't have found out either, but Stu came and confessed. No. He was like, I heard the Christine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's wild. Christine gets ready and loads up her car as Mr. Jax continues that when he confronted Stu with inconsistencies, Stu broke down crying. (laughs) (laughs) With a chuckle, he assures Christine that they won't be seeing him around anymore. In fact, come Monday, that assistant manager position is hers. And again, it's like, okay, we've 
gotten rid of the curse. Yeah. We're getting the promotion, which is what this was fucking all about in the first place. Mm-hmm. Everything's coming up Millhouse. Yes. Yeah, but that was a long way to get that promotion. It was. <laughs> <laughs> One might say too long. Yes. <laughs> and it's only been three days. Yeah. Oh, fuck, yeah. With Pep in her step and wearing a pink cardigan and a floral dress, Christine struts through the station. Clay waits for her, looking a little worried, but Christine pauses when she sees a powder blue coat through the glass of a store window. When the saleswoman, played by Amy Miles, puts a purse on display, Christine gets her attention through the glass. The woman tells her regretfully that they're not open yet, but Christine tells her that she only wants to buy the coat. She tells her that she and her boyfriend are taking a very special trip. With a big and beaming smile, she asks her, please? Cash or charge. <laughs> Cash. <laughs> <laughs> it looks good on me, too. <laughs> Clay stands nervously on the platform and reaches in his pocket to pull out a ring box. Christine sneaks up behind him, wearing her new coat and the two embrace. Clay tells her that there's so many things he wants to tell her, but she interrupts him. She wants to tell him something while she still has it straight in her head. With a smile, he tells her to go ahead. She thanks him for never stopping believing in her. She tells him that she has to tell him something that she couldn't admit before. She could have given Mrs. Gannish another extension, but she didn't. And it was wrong of her. She learned a lesson. Mm-hmm. She's like, I also almost killed a bunch of people at the diner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> so this and damned their souls. <laughs> Clay just kisses her and tells her she has such a good heart. He tells her how beautiful she looks and she models her new coat for him. He asks what happened to the old one and she says happily that she threw it away and she never wants to see it again. Clay tells her that that's too bad because he found this in the car. He takes out an envelope and pulls out the button. The world (laughs) spins for Christine and she can only focus on the cursed button as Clay continues that he thought she could sew it back on. By the way, he thinks she might have a standing Liberty quarter because the envelopes kind of look the same. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, no, we got it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so good, though. It man. is. <laughs> Christine is in a full panic and backs away from Clay and the button. Clay tries to stop her, but she backs away until she falls onto the train tracks. Clay is screaming and Christine stares in horror and disbelief as a train barrels down on her. His eyes filled with tears. Clay reaches for her. But just before the train can run her over, the tracks open up beneath her, unveiling flames and shadowed hungry hands. They grab Christine and she screams for help. The train goes over her, but Clay can still see her. The hands pull her down, her face morphing into something skeletal and dead as she is dragged to hell and the rocks of the tracks reconvene in her absence like nothing ever happened. Tears stream down Clay's face as he looks first at the button in his hand, then back at the tracks where his ill-fated love was just dragged to hell. It cuts to black and the credits roll. So what did you guys think of Drag Me to Hell? I had a lot more fun this time. Good. Uh, Discussing the movie. I had a lot of fun too talking about it. Um, Again, I I, I did really, really enjoy the movie this time. I just feel like there is. And I know, babe, you said that that, uh, 
you read that he was cramming a bunch of stuff in and he was adding and adding. <laughs> I can kind of, you know, you can kind of feel it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, all right. And there's nothing wrong with that because it is very uh, rainy. Yes. You can yeah. feel it. And uh, again, that's a good thing. But there is a lot going on. And it, at certain points, it's just happening, 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 happening. It's like, God damn. Um, but it, it is also too, like you were bringing up tea and a lot of the things too. I was just kind of like, okay. Um there is no good or bad. You know what I mean? Everybody's just kind of like, oh, wow. <laughs> Scratching your head and you're like, damn, you guys all kind of suck. You know what I mean? <laughs> What's happening? Um, but I mean, it, it is a fun movie. It's a very, very fun movie. And uh, I did have a lot more, you know what I mean? A better en- enjoyment uh, of watching it this time. I'm glad to hear that. I really still enjoy this movie quite a lot. Mm -hmm. And it really does boil down to that. It's just so much fun. Yeah. It is a blast. It is, like I had mentioned previously, it feels like a popcorn movie, man. Yeah. Yeah. This is just a great time at the movies. I did see it twice or thrice. I can't recall. (laughs) Yeah. I just, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that it's just a very interesting film as well. I mean, with the unconventional ending. Yeah. Where, typically speaking, the kind of ending you would get for this film, we already saw a boy dragged to hell at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Right. So we're not going to see it again. She's going to be okay, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, No. She's not. (laughs) Plot twist. I I just, I don't know. I just really appreciate that. I I really like all of the Evil Dead references, Mm -hmm. these nods. It is a shame Bruce Campbell couldn't be involved. Yeah. But it seems like nearly everybody else was. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I don't know. I, I just think, and the um, potential commentary the film is trying to make. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about conformity, as you had said. Yeah. When you're looking at possibilities of the corporate ladder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe even the difficulty and upward mobility for women in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it, there's a lot here and so many things that are hinted at that maybe aren't explicitly stated. But the fact that you can interpret that much from this film makes it even more fascinating. Yeah. yeah. But I, I think that the bottom line is just it's it's very well crafted. It's a lot of fun. Is there a certain percentage of it that is more successful than the other? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Does some of the CGI not age very well? Yeah. yeah. But I mean, just, you know, enjoy the enjoy the movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I I agree. It's just a blast. I honestly, when the, I I knew that we would cover this one day, and I was excited too. But when it won the Patreon poll, I was a little concerned that it was not going to hold up for me. Yeah. Um, but it did. the The moments that don't work for me probably don't work now more than ever for me. Mm-hmm. But the ones that do, I just appreciate them so much more having a better understanding and a better appreciation of the evil dead and of Sam Raimi and kind of his journey as a filmmaker, this like kind of return to roots. And I, they just made it sound like it was so much fun. The story from 89, finally getting its chance to be told. And I just, I love the ending. I love the ending. I love that Christine is not, squeaky clean and innocent and just this horrible shit is happening to her they add complexities to her where you're like what is her story yeah she's got this you know this um baggage with her mother and this like 
kind of self-loathing thing going on with trying to reinvent herself in a way that is more palatable to maybe the workforce or to a future mother-in-law or you know what I mean it is very complicated and complex and now she's got a fucking lami after her you know what I mean like it's and and the decisions that she makes she is very endearing and you do feel bad for her so you don't stop to think she just fucking murdered a cat yeah she was going to <laughs> have Stu's soul ripped away from him and have him burn in hell for all of eternity <laughs> does he deserve it that's not for me to decide yeah <laughs> he did ask for the spicy mustard he did, he did. and uh, that would that would be pretty spicy mustard. <laughs> <laughs> um hell right <laughs> thank you yeah um but it, it is you know this question of morality and you made this bed. This was your decision. Are you going to lie in it and take your medicine? Or are you going to be like, his name was Jim Jacks. <laughs> and it wasn't his. It wasn't. <laughs> no, it ever. Wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> Granted, his influence, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Dangling it over her head. Mm. But yeah. he did say your call. It's your he call. Did. And she put herself and her corporation, her bank, whatever, first. And that was the price that she had to pay for that. And I'm not saying that that price is fair. I'm not saying that a little boy should pay that price for swiping a fucking <laughs> necklace. Yeah. But, you know, she she did that. Yeah. And honestly, again, with the potential commentary, when you put your job and corporation before the rest of humanity, maybe the price is your soul. Oh, yeah. that's good. Okay. Um, But it, it it's just, even with those potentially very heavy themes, it's just so much fun. That seance scene. Oh, man. It's yeah. a fucking blast. And I just, I can't stress enough how much I loved the ending of this kind of subversion of everything that you think the story is going to be. And I'm like, does Clay own the button now? Well, he, I mean, he owns trauma. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. That's minimum. <laughs> That's minimum. Um, I, I, I just, I, it's, it's just a lot of fun. It does have its problems. The CGI, I will say 90% of it. It, I, I don't like it. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't hold up that whole scene of her in the shed or the garage or whatever. I would cut that whole thing, (laughs) but that's just me. But for every moment that is not successful for me, there are two or three that just knock it out of the park. So I still love this and I'm glad to revisit it and find that I still really, really, really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to keep rambling unless we just go into ratings. <laughs> um, like I said, the CGI, I don't like. Um, there are some weird, weird cuts. <laughs> like when she's at dinner, and then he's like, no, leave her. And then she's just that wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, fuck, okay. Um, I don't like somebody being like oh you this is just ptsd from what happened today and she's like this is ptsd from what happened that is annoying on the other side of the coin i do like that her partner even if he doesn't fully understand what's going on he believes in her enough to buy into this i do like that i like the character of rom i like sean i like you know there there's so many scenes that are just ridiculous and fun and over the top and like we said at the top just so rainy and i love that Mm -hmm. and the practical effects are great yeah and the music is great 
Yes. And the cinematography is great. Mm-hmm. Yes. There are so many pluses that the few minuses, it's like, all right, fuck it. I'll take it. But I don't like it, you know? Um, but this is a lot of fun. <laughs> all that to say, this movie is very fun. Um, so on a scale from one to 10, bewitched buttons. Very good. Thank you. I am going to give Drag Me to Hell, and I was torn between two numbers, but I'm going to give it that extra half a point because it is just so fucking fun, and learning more about behind the scenes just makes me appreciate it more. Mm -hmm. I'm giving Drag Me to Hell 8 out of 10 Bewitched Buttons, and I will now open up the floor to you. I only took one hit because I'm not going to get as high as that, Um, (laughs) but... (laughs) Um, I did enjoy the movie. I'll be honest, I don't uh, enjoy the ending. I get it, but I feel like for me, what would have had more of an impact if he would have been like, look, I have the gift you gave me and he opened it and it's the button. And since he said that, he's Mm. accepting it. So then he gets taken. You just fucked off your boyfriend. And he he did he believed in you. He paid that, and then, oh, that and then really it's like good. drag me to hell. And it's like fuck, you just ruined your entire life and his life forever. Yeah, she hereditary. Yeah, it's like <laughs> what? But I I do get it, and and it it is very fun. Mm-hmm. It is a very very fun movie. I did enjoy it, um, but I do want to say I do I do agree again with what you're saying. I didn't I didn't enjoy it as much the first time, but watching it again. A lot of the Evil Dead references are fantastic. And it's like, okay. And it is fun. The CGI, again, we did talk about it. It's not great. Um, but it, I, I did enjoy it. And I do feel like it is one of those movies, like you're saying, put it on with a group of friends or list. Hey, let's all go watch this in the movie and fucking have a good time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, I do sitting here talking about it and learning how they went through and everything and that, and it does give me a better appreciation for the film. Um, but I, I will not immediately watch this again, but in some time, <laughs> you know, in time. Hmm. Um, but for me on a scale of one to 10 bewitched buttons, I'm going to give drag me to hell seven bewitched buttons. I did enjoy it. Um, I'm not. I'm not gonna say it's. I. It's not one of my favorites because it is a fun movie, and there is a lot to love about the movie. Um, <laughs> but there's also a lot thrown in the movie. Yes. So a lot of shit comes at you, and it's like, what the fuck? What? What? What's this? What's that? Oh my god! What's happening now? But it. It is fun. It is very fun. I I look this movie's it's a lot of fun I think is the, yeah. <laughs> the word of the day. Yeah. It's a takeaway. I I just I I always have a good time whenever I watch this film. Thank you to our patrons for voting this one in. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to talk about. I've had a blast today. Mm-hmm. I I think that this film is really just the kind of film that just the feel and the tone of it it is something like a flair that only sam raimi could provide yeah yeah and it feels so of his style it feels so reverent for his past films but then it's also something new in its own way too Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it is a very original idea like i've never i i remember watching it and being like i've never seen anything like this yeah yeah I, I just and I you know uh, not to repeat everything because it's really just the craft of filmmaking that is the biggest positive here. Yeah, I think that everything that they did with the cinematography, the editing, the sequences, there are so many 
haunting visuals that have stayed with me since 2009. (laughs) (laughs) And they will probably haunt me tonight. (laughs) But (laughs) there's also a lot of good humor. There's some, I don't know, that Looney Tunes bit in the shed. (laughs) 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 Not for me. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I'm sure a lot of people enjoyed it. Yeah. I'm glad they had it. But uh, and you know that's really the only negative is some stuff like that. Yeah, bits of the CGI. I think that some of the narrative gets a bit expedited in some places. Mm-hmm. Or the and then <laughs> that edit was fucking hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, all, all in all, it's it's not a lot that I can really mark against this film. Yeah, I have too much fun watching it, and I do have a lot of nostalgia for it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I again, I'll just be repeating myself and also my family and co-hosts here. Yeah. So, for me, out of 10 Bewitched Buttons, I'm also going to give Drag Me to Hell 8 Bewitched Buttons out of 10. I will watch this movie uh, soon. (laughs) Again. (laughs) Heavy endorsement. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's all from us at Podmortem. What would you rate Drag Me to Hell and what should we watch next? Let us know on Twitter at the Podmortem. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and like our Steerhole Productions page on Facebook. Be sure to follow each of us on Twitter at Blood and Smoke, at RealStreeter84, and at TravisMWH. Thanks again to Original Cinematic for sponsoring this week's episode. Please consider pledging to our Patreon, where you'll get bonus content like The Corner of Creep and No Sleep and Talk Mortem. Stay tuned until after the music for a special shout-out to our Wendigo Getter patrons. And remember... It's useless to run or hide from the consequences of your actions. The time will come when it's time to pay what you owe. Until next time. Thank you for staying tuned for a special thank you to our Wendigo Getter patrons. Woo, yeah. Yeah. A special thank you to... Chris Ontiveros, Kristen Lofton, Megan Martinez, Kimberly Bass, Sophie Hodson, Anthony Jerome M., Jordan Nash, Kent Morton, Lala Thomas, Travis Anissa Hunter, Miguel Myers ATX, Jennifer Perez, Allison O'Neill, Carissa, TJ and Angie Bronson, Gabrielle Trevino, Spooky Mom, Applin Ontiveros, Karima Rhodes, Antonio Huerta, Kimberly Kleindienst, Will Brown, Sydney Smith, Osvaldo Soto, Bobby Holmes, Donna Eason, J.D. Rizak, Molly Gerhardt, Armand Spasto, Aaron Aguirre, Eggie, William Berry, Brittany Ramatar, Charity Oxner, Amanda Six, Mandy Rainwater, Jordan Roberts, Dylan, Jordan Blevins, Liz Heath, Spencer Montalvo, Pancake the Panda, John Ramos, Michael Newding, Alexis Roberts, Dan Laveau, Itzy M., Gary Horton, Leisha Olivier, Kate Lamp, Carlos and Sydney, Jessica Hunter, Helena Rudder, Alan Johnston, Mariah, Livy Fun, Scott Troutman Wise, Towton Watson, Mozzie Bear, Brittany G, Dave Burke, Adrian Stakes, Daniel McGinnis, Nick Spill, Emma Hagel Kissinger, Valerie G, Emiliana, Brian Glass, CB, Taylor Santana, Will Lewison, Angelique, Smelly Poo Poo Head, Beth Bauer, Cookie, Esperanza J, Jason Cow OKC, Joshua Rumley, Danielle Peralta, Brandon, Nicholas Carter, Sawyer Reese Farr, Dr. Diva Loves Horror, Girl That's Scary, Cassandra, Andrea Simmons, Ashley Hagera, William and Zena Rush, Ryan Brahm, 
Megan Ochoa, Laura Lassiter, Natalie de Guzman, Eileen O, Marissa E, Sydney, Henry F, Megan M, Strangely Sarah, Christy Beck, Nancy and Andy, Amanda Lopez, Andy Terrell, Jason Hanavan, Katie K, Erica Morin, Cameron S, Nicole Stewart, Tris Wynn, K.87, Mariah Jensen, Carrie A, Lonnie Lono, Powell, Kayla E, Maggie H, Fernando Dominguez, Murder Stina, No Thanks Tom Hanks, Kevin McConaughey, Kristen Marcy, Ori81 Boricua, Look Like That One Girl, Bog Boy, Felnez 63, Alita Pui, Probably My Jugs, Kate Thackeray, Wade Pack, A Lizard, Bay J, Jay Rich, Jen Lassiter, Topher Williams, Elena Mettler, Neil Chesen, Valerie Kay, Christy Lee Kruger, Professor of Humanities, Laura McCarricker, Naomi, Josh Smith, Autumn Green, Heather Santiano, Abby Kopp, Crystal 831, Cassidy Carruthers, Skank Sinatra, Morgan Alexander, Tony Osteen, Julie Fredborg, Rihanna S., Daniel Taylor, Anna Kate, Heather Ortiz, Jin T., Kim H., August, Vengeance Spirit, Sam J. Green, Kelly Glazyface Mac, Jenny May, Zoe Marie, Glittery Fab, Malik Caselli Armstrong, Scarly D, Toya Shea, Katie, Martin Shaw, Star, Suzanne Vanderbeek, Tyler J, and Daniel Dickerson. Thank you all so much. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much. And if you ever question if we truly appreciate you, of course we do. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> well played. <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> Thank you very much. Until next time. <laughs>